it, this is a sad night for us here in Virginia. It's a sad night in Chesapeake. And it's going to be a really, really sad time tomorrow morning when people wake up and hear this sad news. When does it stop? That is a question. The sad news is that the nation can't even mourn one mass shooting before another. Here's what happened. A gunman opening fire overnight inside a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. Families preparing for Thanksgiving now facing funerals instead. This is what we know at this hour. Police confirmed six people were killed last night inside the store. The shooter is also dead. It's also not clear this morning if there was any kind of standoff or whether officers fired any shots once they arrived. The gunman's motive still not known at this time. So clearly a lot of questions remain this morning. We do expect to learn hopefully more about the suspect and what happened inside that store when police hold a news conference just two hours from now. According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 606 mass shootings this year alone. Straight to CNN's Brian Todd live for us at the scene in Chesapeake, Virginia. Brian, hello to you. What are you learning? Don, just a short time ago, we did get word from the city of Chesapeake that a total of seven people are dead in the shooting, including the shooter himself. Our affiliate WTKR cites a hospital spokesman as saying that five people are being treated for injuries at Centera General Hospital in Norfolk, Virginia, not too far from here. An update on their conditions was not immediately available. WTKR also spoke to a relative of a survivor of the shooting. Here's what they had to say. He went in at 10 p.m. tonight, and we received a phone call. Well, his wife received a phone call we, um, about 10:18, saying that he had been shot. At the time, that's all that we knew, that he had been shot. We didn't know how, or, you know, and what, what was really strange to us is that he clocks in at 10, so he hadn't even been there 10 minutes. He actually was shot in his side. Um, he is up talking, um, breathing. Um, they, they don't have a lot of details right now. So again, at least six people dead. The shooter is also dead. At least five people were injured in the attack. Uh, we are told by a law enforcement source, this is CNN's John Miller obtaining this information, that either a current or a former employee walked into a break room where people were and opened fire. That person also then turned the gun on himself and is deceased. That's what we know at this time. Done. So, as you said, not much known. You got that information from John Miller, but we, do we know any more where? I know there's a, a press conference that's going to happen in the coming hours here, and we're going to carry that live for you. Do you have any idea where this investigation is going? Any idea of a motive, Brian? Well, that's what we've got to piece together, and that's what officials have got to, uh, you know, go through the evidence and try to find. We need to know who this person was. Was this a disgruntled employee? Was there a conflict at work? Those are some answers that we hope to get in the coming hours, Don. I can tell you that overnight it took them several hours just to comb through the store behind me. It's a very large Walmart, and police officials say uh, they couldn't really give us information even on the number of people dead and injured for several hours because they had to go through this store, you know, row by row of, uh, you know, rows of merchandise, counters, things like that, to see if anyone was hiding so that they could make sure that they accounted for everyone. They did tell us a short time ago that they have rendered the building safe, so they have accounted for everyone now, but it took them several hours to process the scene. The key question is motive and who this person was. Was there a conflict inside this Walmart among the employees or maybe a former employee? And we hope to get those details very shortly. Should in the coming hours. Thank you very much, Brian Todd. We appreciate it.
The shooting in Virginia is coming just days after five people were gunned down in Colorado Springs. The sus suspected shooter there is going to make an initial court appearance today as we are learning more about his troubled past. Rosa Flores is live in Colorado Springs for CNN this morning. Rosa, I know we're getting a fuller picture about this suspect. What have you learned? Well, we know that he is waking up this morning in the jail that you see behind me. Anderson Lee Eltrich will be facing a judge at 1130 local time. He is being held without bond. No formal charges have been filed, but the district attorney telling CNN that he is considering hate crime charges just based on the facts. So here's what's going to happen at 1130. We are expecting for the suspect to be informed of constitutional rights. Then the charges will be read in open court. Those charges could include um, five counts of first degree murder and five counts of hate crime. Now, in open court, the the suspect will be addressed by the pronouns they and them. And this is according to court documents, which show that the suspect identifies as non-binary. Now, Caitlin, as you mentioned, this is as we learn more about his chaotic past. Uh, we know that their father was a porn star, an MMA fighter. Um, they were raised by their grandmother um, while their mother was dealing with um, uh, criminal uh, criminal situations in her own life. And so there's a lot of other complications. There's bullying involved and also changing of names. And again, we don't know how exactly all of that is is going to be um, uh, influencing what, what is happening in court today or how it's going to impact this case. But again, it's just a little bit more background on this suspect. Caitlin? Yep. A lot of questions still remain. And of course, our thoughts are with those families, you know, getting ready for Thanksgiving without, without their loved ones. Rosa, thank you for that update. We are also this morning following a deadly escalation of violence in Jerusalem, where police say a pair of explosions are suspected of being coordinated, a coordinated terror attack on Jerusalem. Our Hadass Gold is live for CNN this morning at the scene of one of the explosions. Hadass, what can you tell us? Poppy, this is the scene of the first of two explosions. This is a busy bus station along one of the main arteries that takes you out of Jerusalem and towards Tel Aviv. Police say that just after 7 a.m., a bomb exploded here at this bus station. And then 30 minutes later, another explosion at a bus station just down the hill. Police say that one person was killed, a 16-year-old at this location, and more than 19 others have been injured. Now, Israeli police are calling this a coordinated terrorist attack. They say that the bags were placed here and then they were detonated remotely. We have been here all morning. We've seen police collecting evidence. They've already cleared the scene, but part of the evidence we saw them collecting was what looked like nails and screws and ball bearings. And I want to show you just some of the damage to the bus station sign. You can see the impact of this blast. I'll show you right here. This is one of the signs for the bus station. You can just see all of those impact markings. Now, police do believe that there were nails, ball bearings, and screws, and that is what EMTs have told us are part of the injuries that they are seeing. Now, this has already been a very deadly and violent year for both Israelis and Palestinians. But an attack like this, bombs like this have not been seen in Jerusalem or in Israel for years. And for many people, it's bringing back memories of the intifadas. And there is a big fear that these types of bombs, that we may be seeing more of them coming forward and that there may be more copycat explosions. So far, no militant group has taken credit. Hamas, though, uh, the militant group that runs the Gaza Strip, has praised the attack. What we know also is that the Israeli police are still searching for the suspects 
suspect. They don't know yet who placed the bombs. The Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid is at this moment holding a security assessment of the situation. Poppy. Devastating uh, to see. Haras, thank you for being there. So this, you have to stop and watch this next video. A U.S. military plane forced to return to Chicago's Midway Airport because of a bird strike. You can see the video right there. This dramatic video captures the moment the plane struck the birds in midair. The head of the National Guard, General Daniel Hokinson, was on board that plane. Officials say the Air Force C-37 plane is part of a fleet that flies out of Joint Base Andrews in Maryland to support government missions worldwide. It landed safely at Midway. No injuries were reported. It is the busiest travel day of the year. Many of you may be waiting in line soon. In long lines at airports, more than 50 million people ready to head out to their holiday destination. The sky's busier than ever. What about the roads? Let's get to our friend Pete Montine. He joins us live from I-395 in Washington. You're always at the airport. But you're not at the airport today. <laughs> you're in front of the interstate, Pete. What Remember, are we looking Bobby, at? So, <laughs> so many more people drive for Thanksgiving yeah. compared to fly, although we have a tendency to focus on flying because it's going to be one of the busiest days there, too. Two and a half million people expected to pass through TSA checkpoints at airports nationwide. But today will likely be the busiest day for driving since COVID hit. Look at the numbers from AAA, 48.7 million people anticipated to drive 50 miles or more over the next five days. Today being the busiest day, really not all that far off from where we were back in 2019 before the pandemic, when AAA saw 49.9 million people hit the road. All of this as gas prices are the highest they have ever been for a Thanksgiving rush. 361 is the national average for a gallon of regular. According to AAA, it was 340 this time last year. Yes, gas prices are going down, but they are still up when you compare it to a year ago. I want you to listen now to drivers who tell us this is really not factoring in all that much of their decision, and they're still wanting to get out for the holiday. People are traveling more, and they they're tired of being at home and stuff, but still, again, it's the prices. The reason why a lot of people are deciding to stay at home, but that's not stopping a lot of people either. <laughs> but I know there's definitely that extra headache or stress added to um, being on the road during this time. But I, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing. People are starting to get back out. The worst time to drive today. This is the news you can use part between 11 a.m and 8 p.m. according to AAA. So if you can get an early start, do it. You may want to put it off until after dinner tonight. Try and miss the peak time because yeah. look at the breakdown of some of these major metro areas, Atlanta, Chicago, L.A., New York. Congestion there twice the norm during the peak times today. There's a sea of red on the traffic map here in D.C. last night. I can see 395 already building up yeah. traffic-wise. We will see the rush is only just beginning, Poppy. Books on tape. Long books on tape. That's what, that's what people need. <laughs> that's Pete, right. Thank you. Caitlin. All right. One day, four different courtrooms for cases involving former President Trump showcasing the legal challenges that he is facing one week after it announced he is going to be running for president in 2024. First, and maybe the biggest, the Supreme Court cleared the way for the IRS to release Trump's tax returns to a Democratic-led House committee this is a major loss for Trump, who fought for years not to release his tax returns, breaking with the modern precedent set by presidential candidates 
and presidents. I don't mind releasing. I'm under a routine audit and it'll be released. I've been audited, I think, for 15 straight years. When the audit is done, I'll release them. I'm under routine audit. And I think it's a very unfair thing. As soon as my routine audit's finished, I'll release my returns. I'll be very proud to. They're Thank actually you, Mr. Quite Trump. Proud. I would love to give them, but I'm not going to do it while I'm under audit. It's very simple. Well, Democrats first sought his tax returns back in 2019. The IRS, under the Trump administration, initially resisted turning them over. This is what Trump's acting chief of staff at the time said. To be clear, you believe Democrats will never see the president's tax returns? Oh, no, never. Nor should they. That's an issue that was already litigated during the election. Voters knew the president could have given his tax returns. They knew that he didn't, and they elected him anyway. The courts have now made a different decision. And now the Treasury Department says it will comply, which means the IRS is set to hand over Trump's tax returns to House Democrats by next week. All right, in New York, a rare admission in the criminal fraud trial against Trump's companies, the Trump Organization, his longtime accountant, taking the stand, testifying that Trump reported losses on his personal tax returns every year from 2011 to 2018. Also in Georgia, Senator Lindsey Graham did appear before that grand jury that is investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Prosecutors there getting to the bottom of Graham's calls to those election officials you'll remember in Georgia, including to the Georgia Secretary of State. Graham has denied that there was anything nefarious here, saying it was all legislatively related. But Brad Raffensperger says that Graham wanted to help Trump by making those calls. Listen. Just an implication that uh, uh, look hard and see how many ballots you could throw out. And finally, in a second defeat for Trump, a panel of appeals court judges not buying Trump's argument that the government violated his rights when he searched Mar-a-Lago for classified documents. They agree with the Justice Department that a special master review is not needed. At one point, Trump's lawyer noted the FBI took golf shirts and Celine Dion pictures. CNN's Paula Reed has more on the Supreme Court's move on Trump's taxes. Paula, hello to you. Good morning. A lot of this is a long time coming, isn't it? Uh, indeed. I've been covering the former president's legal problems for or nearly a decade now, and this is the biggest loss in recent memory. And incredibly, in just two sentences, the Supreme Court put an end to his years-long effort to shield his tax returns from lawmakers. Now the Treasury Department will hand over six years of tax records to the Democrat-led House Ways and Means Committee immediately, ending a lengthy court battle that actually began three years ago when the committee began trying to get these records. And they argued that they needed this information in his tax returns to meaningfully evaluate whether the IRS is adequately able to enforce the nation's tax laws against a president like Trump, who has complex business holdings. Now, Trump's attorneys argued that turning over his tax returns would be an unconstitutional breach of the separation of powers. And they said that this request is just politically motivated, and they have really fought to try to shield these documents. The Supreme Court was Trump's last resort after he lost his case at the lower courts. The appeals court was even unanimous that this request for returns was constitutional. And now the Supreme Court, which of course includes three Trump appointees, has cleared the way for the release of these records. And interestingly, there were no public dissents. Now, it's always possible that there was some disagreement behind the scenes, but there was nothing noted in the decision itself. So it's unclear exactly when the committee will get these records, but they are prevented by law from making them public. But, Don, 
As we know, the Hill is one of the leakiest places in Washington, <laughs> and it was possible that they could get out. Yeah, leaky in Washington? That's an understatement, what? Paula. <laughs> Paula Reed, thank you very much this morning. You know, it is perhaps the biggest upset in the World Cup history. We're going to take you live to Saudi Arabia, where, holiday, where a holiday has just been declared there, I'm sure, right? Oh, I'm sure, totally. Also, why Kevin McCarthy may have a major math problem in his race to be speaker. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Touchdown. Look out here. Shot taken. Go! Cartwheel back, back flip. Go! Did I get it right? Go! Saudi Arabia (laughs) stunning in Qatar with two goals against Argentina and what is being called one of the greatest upsets in World Cup history. A holiday has been declared in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in honor of their team's achievement. Amanda Davis, live for us in Qatar, Qatar, <laughs> for CNN Always this debated. morning. You know there's been a debate. Good morning to you. This is crazy. What an upset. Oh, I can tell you, Don, uh, day four has really got to go some to live up to what we experienced here yesterday. Um, You talk about that public holiday in Saudi Arabia. And if the party that went on in this souk behind me last night is anything to go by, there might be a fair few people very grateful for that public holiday indeed. I was sat here as that game was playing out and the reverberations through the souk as that match unfolded were quite incredible. It was those two goals in six minutes that really turned the game and then ultimately our day on its head. Saudi Arabia, the second lowest ranked side in this tournament, up against many people's favorites to lift the trophy, not just Argentina, Lionel Messi's Argentina. And it was, it really is, it's no underestimation, those people saying this is one of the greatest upsets of World Cup history. Herve Renard, the Frenchman, the Saudi Arabian mastermind behind that success, described it as totally crazy. Uh, Saudi, of course, one of the closest countries here in Qatar. Thousands of fans have made the road trip here to be part of this. And it shouldn't be underestimated what it means to this region. Of course, the blockade only being lifted uh, some 18 months ago. And it's Saudi and the whole region celebrating. We had the Emir of Qatar waving the Saudi flag yesterday. Queen Rania of Jordan has sent her congratulations. Uh, But brilliantly, Herve Renard has said he's allowing his team 20 minutes of celebration. And then it's head down, back to the job in hand, their next game against Poland on Saturday. Never cut out the underdog, right? Meanwhile, it was a very quiet ride back for Argentina. (laughs) I imagine this is not a loss they were expecting. Okay, I know everyone's going to be watching for Germany and Japan playing later today, but right now Morocco and Croatia are playing. What's happening in that game? Give us an update right now. Yeah, I have to say it's still goalless. We're midway through uh, the second half. Croatia, you might remember the runners-up in 2018. Uh, They've 
started to build a little bit of momentum behind them in recent times. They've had a pretty up and down four years since that last World Cup. But Morocco looking for their first victory at the tournament since 1998. Luka Modric, as you would expect, having a couple of decent chances, but not managed to make the breakthrough as yet. A really huge day here. Some massive traditional footballing powerhouses. Germany, as you mentioned, are up in action against Japan, looking to make amends for their disappointment in 2018. 2010 champion Spain as well. They kick off their campaign against Costa Rica and they'll be hoping to get off to a better start than they have having lost their first game in the last three tournaments. All right, Amanda, thank you very much. Appreciate it. See if there's any upsets today. Yeah. Celebrities, influencers taking a diabetes drug to lose weight. We're talking about Ozempic, okay? You've probably heard a lot about this. Does it work? Yes. Is it safe? It's a question we'll discuss. Also on this Wednesday morning, we are going to take you live to Ukraine, where Russian forces struck a maternity ward overnight. We are getting a better view at the destruction. Okay, wait till you hear about this. And welcome back to CNN This Morning. Celebrities, a lot of famous folks are using what's actually a diabetes drug to lose weight. And now there's a shortage of it. It's called Ozempic. There are experts that are warning to consider this a miracle drug is a mistake. Danny Blum is with us, health reporter from The New York Times. Danny, I'm so glad you're here. We around the table have been talking about this a lot because it seems like it works pretty well and fast for weight loss. But now there's not enough of it for what it's intended for. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so yeah, there's currently a shortage of both Ozempic and Wagovi, which are essentially different doses of the same medication. But Ozempic, which has gotten a lot of the attention, is a drug that the FDA has approved for treating people with diabetes. But increasingly, you're seeing people turn to it for the purpose of weight loss. So it's really fascinating. Every time you see someone who has either lost weight or whatever, I did the, the uh, intermittent fasting and lost weight. And every, and, I mean, people, it's just a, like a novelty now. They're like, hey, are you on the shot? Are you doing the shot? Is, it's, it's, like, it's a shot into your stomach, right? It's a shot right? like you do uh, a diabetes drug. So people just automatically assume and they think it's just okay. It's, it's just like a thing, like buying, you know, going to the store and buying it. Yeah, so it's an injectable medication. It can go in your stomach, your thigh, or your arm. And yeah, it's become sort of increasingly popular. There's a lot of chatter about it on social media. You have you know, celebrities saying they've used it. There was a really interesting report in Variety that essentially there are you know, encrypted group chats of actors and people in Hollywood talking about it. So it's definitely a big topic of conversation. And the issue here, it's not that unusual to use a drug, right, if it's off-label or it's not for as explicit use. That happens yeah. with doctors a lot. But the problem with this shortage mm -hmm. and having all these celebrities use it and talk about it, I know Elon Musk, I think, said he took Wagovi. Right. Um, the issue, though, is if you have diabetes and you need access to this medication can't and it's in it. shortage and you can't get it. So what are they what's the solution there? Well, I will say there are two issues. The shortage is definitely you know, something that is really impacting people. But also the medication hasn't been studied in people beyond the groups that it's approved for. So if you are someone who doesn't meet the BMI criteria or, you know, the other FDA criteria for taking this drug, we just don't know if it's safe or not. And there are side effects. You know, this is not medication that I would consider, you know, taking super lightly. There are reports of people 
with extreme nausea, fatigue, vomiting. Um, one doctor told me that some patients get such intense constipation that they go to the ER. So a lot of pancreatitis, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happens in rare cases. So I do want to stress that, you know, there are a number of issues surrounding this drug. But in terms of people who need the medication and can't get it, I mean, the unfortunate truth is that medication shortages are not super rare in this country. The FDA currently lists, you know, I want to say dozens of medications in shortage. I just wrote a piece about how Adderall is in shortage mm -hmm. right now. And so... Doctors and patients are just doing their best, and there's not really a one-size-fits-all solution. You know, the manufacturers working on it. Um, it's sort of just, uh, you know, one doctor described it to me as feeling like she's in a hamster wheel, just trying to make sure that her patients get the care that they need. Yeah, yeah we've been talking there's, about these shortages all There's also, I mean, listen, there's a um, sort of the have and the have not. Right, it's expensive people, it's if expensive. you don't have a diabetes prescription yeah. and insurance. Yeah, so wealthy people or people of means are using this drug to lose weight. And in the meantime, there are probably people who are struggling yeah. to afford their medication. It's like 800 can't bucks get it. a time, I yeah. think. Or 1,000, depending yeah. on which one and which drug, right? Is it, what is it, we, whatever it is, and then Ozempic. Wegovi. Wegovi, yeah. Yeah, big questions about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was also just going to say, you know, the thing about these drugs is that they're not meant to be a quick fix, right? So you're not supposed to inject yourself with these drugs for two weeks, lose 15 pounds, and then go off them and keep the weight. So if you are, you know, having that expense and paying out of pocket for these drugs, what happens is that you're supposed to stay on them long term, essentially indefinitely. Otherwise, you run the risk of gaining the weight back. So a, a number, again, of issues surrounding this. Yeah. So I, I don't feel yeah. good about this. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice work. Thanks, Danny. And happy Thank Thanksgiving. Thank All right. Also this morning, the road to 218 is proving to be a pretty bumpy one for Kevin McCarthy. We'll talk about what is complicating his path to the speakership and why it may get even more complicated in the coming days. That's crazy. I've read that wrong. I was like, 2018, the road to 2018? What are they talking We're about? We're going back yeah, in time. Yeah, we're yeah. going back in time, the road to 218. Okay, look at this crazy video. It's showing a waitress uh, holding onto the hood of a speeding car after a group of teenagers dine and dash. We'll explain what's behind this. Oh, wow. So get this, rapper and actor Ice Cube says that he didn't shoot a movie because he didn't want to get a COVID vaccine and it cost him millions. I turned down a movie because I didn't want to get the jab, you know, I turned down nine million. Damn. Because I didn't want to get the you didn't jab. didn't want to get, you yeah, know. that jab and y'all for trying to make me get it. Okay, well, Ice Cube confirming reports from 2021 that he missed out on a $9 million paycheck because he refused to get the coronavirus vaccine. Back then, the coronavirus was still raging across the U.S. Many were hesitant about getting the vaccine, and there was a lot of misinformation about how the shot could keep you safe and alive. Well, since the start of the pandemic, there have been more than one million deaths from the virus. And experts have said over and over again that getting vaccinated is one of the best ways to protect yourself. In August of 2021, I went back to a hospital in my hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was filled with patients during the height of the Delta variant surge. One doctor told me that he had never before seen a single illness take up 90% of the hospital's resources and beds. And I spoke with patients who hadn't gotten vaccinated before they were hospitalized. And I want you to see what they said. Watch this. 
Why didn't you get vaccinated? Just having a hard time. I know. I guess it didn't do it. So you're not anti-vaccine? No, sir. No, sir. You're just kind of ambivalent about it. Yeah, just touchy boy. Do you regret it? Yes, I do. Tell me why. Just, if I, I don't know if the shot would have helped me, but maybe it would have kept preventing it to get worse. Well, let me ask you. Why didn't you get vaccinated? <sighs> me, myself, <clears throat> I thought that I was being safe because I've been quarantining since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the reason I didn't get vaccinated, my choice was I wanted to wait, let this first batch go through, you know, see how it worked. The good thing about me ending up here is everybody has said, okay, a mom of all people got COVID, it's time for us to get vaccinated. Why didn't you get vaccinated? Uh, just apprehensive, you know. Um, my husband got vaccinated and um, wanted me to, and I just thought, oh, well, I'll be careful. What do you say to folks now? I think everybody ought to try to get it, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. just If it'll help prevent you from getting really sick, you know, it's going to do its thing. I think we have to keep that in mind. We, we tend to, uh, I feel like we look back on the pandemic like, oh, we could have done this better. Of course, people are Monday morning quarterbacking. But I think people like Ice Cube need to be um, how they talk about it now. more responsible about how they talk about it now and how they talked about it then. Because, look, it would be great if everybody could miss out on a nine million dollar. I had that you know, sort of privilege, but they didn't. And you look at those people in the hospital and we have to remember People did not know what was going on. That's why it was a novel virus. It was new, and they didn't know. So people were acting, uh, I think, in responsible ways um, that they thought were responsible then. So we just, I think we need to be more careful about that, so, not so flippant. Fair. There's a lot of people I love close to me who still have not gotten vaccinated. And they're wrong. Medically, I agree with you. What I want to say is I think the way we go about it has to not be shaming them. So I think there's yeah. a lesson learned from the pandemic about how we talk about it and educate and have empathy and understanding while also showing facts. That's all I'm saying. I think yeah. shaming didn't work. Yeah, well, that's why, that's why we did the people Exactly, in the not saying you show, did it. Yeah. I'm just saying largely there was a lot of shame yeah. and I think that wasn't the right approach. It didn't motivate people. I think it depends on what you think shame is. If, if you think shame is telling people the truth and being no, honest with no, them no, and no. tough love, but. I think it's being, I think shaming people is when you're dismissive. I can't believe they did that. They yeah. don't know anything, right? I mean, there was a lot of that, that, so lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. You're like, I don't want to get in on this. I mean, it's a real it's a real issue that still persists now. I don't think it's just because of what came out of the White House. And I covered the White House yeah. during those years. It also has to do with the, the ecosystem where people get their news from a lot of that these oh, days. Yeah. And the White House is still dealing with this today. I mean, look at the covid briefing they had yesterday and they talked about how important they believe booster shots are. But very few people have actually gotten the booster shots. And Dr. Jaw is going to be on with us. I think next yep. hour talking about but that. But I think a lot of that had to do with our leaders who were misleading people or were not being responsible enough to tell people they the truth. They could have done so much, so much more. more. But again, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback here because people were acting on information that they had at the time. And we have to remember that.
Good, because it's Wednesday. (laughs) No Monday morning quarterbacking. Big questions, though, for Dr. Jaw when he comes on the program later. Straight ahead, though. Also this morning, conspiracy theories. Speaking of misinformation impacting real life, the FBI has arrested a man for threatening the agency's director and a lawmaker because he claims Congress is running a child slave ring. Also, the former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the most dangerous person in the world is... You'll never believe his answer. For Kevin McCarthy, 218 is the magic number. Those are the votes he needs to become House Speaker when Republicans take over in January. But with a slim margin, he is going to need every vote that he can get. And it's getting tougher. Five Republicans have now signaled they plan to oppose McCarthy for Speaker. Meanwhile, while he was on the southern border yesterday talking about the GOP plans when they do take over the House, he said that they might impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, if he does not resign first. If Secretary Mayorkas does not resign, House Republicans will investigate every order, every action, and every failure will determine whether we can begin impeachment inquiry. We have a plan. We've been putting that forward. McCarthy has no plan. The Republican Party has no plan. They do nothing except do political stunts. We should note the DHS uh, spokesman said Mayorkas has no plans to resign. CNN's Melanie Zanona is live for us in Washington. Melanie, you know, we've been looking at these numbers from McCarthy and it's not clear cut what his path is going to look like. What is what is the conversation on Capitol Hill right now? Well, it's all about the numbers game, Caitlin. As you mentioned, he needs 218 votes in order to become speaker. And we don't know what the margins are going to be right now. But Kevin McCarthy is predicting he's only going to have 222 Republicans total in the House, which, doing the math here, means he can only afford to lose four Republicans in the speaker's race. However, a fifth Republican just came out and said he is going to oppose McCarthy on the floor vote in January. Take a listen. There are a growing number of us who have just lost faith in that uh, McCarthy could do the job. And the speaker is the most important position at this point in time in this country. So what that means, Caitlin, is Kevin McCarthy is either going to have to convince one of those members to change their minds or convince them to vote present or not show up to the vote, which would essentially lower the magic number he needs to become speaker. And Kevin McCarthy better hope that there's not more Republicans where those came from. Yeah, we certainly know there's an effort to put more Republicans on that list. But Melanie, has McCarthy responded to this? And also, is there any, anyone whose name has been suggested to potentially take over if he doesn't ultimately secure the votes to become House Speaker? There's a ton of names floating around. No one would outright challenge him. No one's serious. But there are, you know, Steve Scalise, Jim Banks, Mike Johnson. There are names out there. None of those people would actually challenge Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy himself has been meeting privately with some of his critics. He's been making phone calls. He has not cut any deals just yet. I expect those will come in the coming weeks. But he is also trying to publicly show his critics what kind of leader he would be. As you mentioned, he was at the southern border yesterday. He called on Alejandro Mayorkas to resign. He threatened him with impeachment. And those are some of Kevin McCarthy's strongest comments to date on the impeachment question. And obviously, his right flank has been agitating for impeachment. So clearly, those comments were designed to win over some critics. Caitlin. It is going to be a very interesting January. Got a few weeks ahead of them. Melanie, thank you so much for that update. You know thank what you. I think we should bring in to talk about this? I think it should be CNN political commentator and host of CNN Smirconish, 
Luckily, his name is Michael Smirkanish, because then that would be kind of weird. <laughs> Good morning to you, Michael. So what is going on with uh, Kevin McCarthy? You're talking about immigration, you're talking about all that. Does he have the votes? And also what he did at the border, is it a, is, is it a stunt? Should they be talking more about practical, real solutions to the immigration crisis? Well, Don, I think it's all related. I think the reason that he's on the border is exactly because of this issue, his desire to be the next Speaker of the House. By the way, I think that Kevin McCarthy has the worst odds of being the next House Speaker, except for all the other Republicans, because you can't beat somebody with nobody. So when the question becomes, if not Kevin McCarthy, who, there's really no name that you can fill in the blank that you'd be able to heard a sufficient number of cats to get to the 218 or whatever the actual number might be because they vote by surname. It could be 216. But I don't see anyone who could deny him, I guess is my point. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So you said he has the worst odds, but yet you still think he's going to be speaker? Is that... The worst, uh, the, it, was, it was my attempt, my weak attempt at a pun. He has the worst odds, except for all the others. Because okay, I don't it. see anybody who's got better odds than he does. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's really interesting. Also, you know, I want to talk about something that is fascinating to me. This is something that Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, said yesterday. He was talking to Semaphore. Uh, obviously, he is someone who is widely considered to be potentially a 2024 candidate. And he was asked about who the most dangerous person in the world is. And, Michael, he said the most dangerous person is American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten. It's not a close call. Obviously, he's referring to the COVID practices that you saw put in place at the height of the pandemic. She was heavily criticized for that. Is she the most dangerous person in the world? How about the guy who invaded Ukraine or the one who keeps firing all those rockets in North Korea. I thought it was confirmation of Pompeo's strong desire to run for the presidency, because what's he really doing? He's appealing to the GOP base on matters of parenting and education. Take a look at Glenn Youngkin's playbook in Virginia two years ago. Nothing fires up the base, maybe with the exception of the borders, like the education issues. So a very curious choice of Randy Weingarten. Really? I mean, I went back and I had to reread the question because I wondered, <laughs> is it the most domestically threatening person? No, in the world. And he thought of her. Kind of ridiculous. Uh, Mike Pompeo, though, come on. Uh, you have all these people. Why waste money and time and, and the American people's time? Uh, there's no path to the presidency. For well, Mike Pompeo. We don't know that. Yeah. Come on. Let's just be real. Michael, no. Well, if it... Okay, if... No, no, I have a response. I always have a response. Look, it's, it's Trump and it's DeSantis, and then it's that whole stage full of individuals who showed up in Las Vegas last week. Do any of them have breakout potential? It's hard to say. It's hard to see at this moment because I get it, Don. You know, they're all kind of on that same playing surface. Yeah. But if something is problematic for Trump, an indictment or some other issue, and DeSantis decides not to go, it could be any of them. Michael, next time I want to talk to you about what Pompeo said about bringing back Schedule F. We're out of time. But that's a big, big deal to have a bunch of loyalists in all these government agencies, you know, like Trump tried to do. So we'll see. Michael, thank you. We'll all watch you. Saturday, 9 a.m. Happy turkey to you, sir. See you, friend. Bye-bye. All right. Back to just the terrible breaking news overnight and our coverage of another mass shooting in America, leaving six murdered at a Virginia Walmart. We're live on the scene and speaking to a state senator from Virginia next.
More CNN This Morning to come after the break. He went in at 10 p.m. tonight and we received a phone call. Well, his wife received a phone call We um, about 10, 18, saying that he had been shot. And what was really strange to us is that he clocks in at 10, so he hadn't even been there 10 minutes. Those are people affected by a shooting. This is CNN This Morning, and for the second time in four days, America sees another mass shooting, a gunman opening fire last night inside a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. This is what we know at this hour. Police confirmed six people were killed. The shooter is also dead. It's not clear at this hour whether there was any sort of standoff or whether officers fired shots when they arrived, and a motive is still not known. But we will hopefully learn a lot more about that motive, about the suspect, about what happened inside Walmart last night as police are set to hold a briefing in the next hour to take questions on this. CNN's Brian Todd live for us on the scene in Chesapeake, Virginia this morning. Brian, what are you learning? Well, Don, I can set the scene for you a little bit here with our first hints of daylight. We'll zoom past me to the entrance of the Walmart right there where law enforcement personnel have been coming in and out of that entrance all morning. This attack unfolded a little less than nine hours ago. The first calls came into police uh, just after 10 p.m. Eastern time. What we're told by a law enforcement source who spoke to CNN was that an employee or a former employee walked into a break room where people were gathered and opened fire. At some point, that employee or former employee turned the gun on himself. As you reported, as we've been confirming uh, for the last couple of hours, uh, the city of Chesapeake confirming six people were killed, six victims dead. The gunman is also dead. We're told that at least five people are being treated for their injuries uh, at a local hospital, but an update on their conditions was not immediately available. But again, uh, here, they were coming through this for hours. It took them hours to process and go through the store, make sure there were no additional victims, that there was no one hiding. So this crime crime scene has taken several hours for police uh, to go through and they've just rendered it safe. But again, they're still coming through this for evidence. Don. Okay, so uh, Brian, that um, news conference is expected to happen uh, in a short time here. Where does the investigation go? I guess we'll learn from that and and also a motive at this point. We We still don't know. So we'll have to wait for this press conference. That's right. We're going to be pressing hard for a possible motive. We need to know who this gunman was, uh, whether there were any conflicts, whether were there any warning signs uh, at this place of business uh, regarding this person. So, again, these are answers that hopefully the police will be coming up with in the next couple of hours. We're going to be pressing for details on that. But again, you know, a very dramatic scene here uh, unfolding in just a, a few minutes. The police responded very quickly and it seemed to have been over fairly quickly. Uh, again, right behind me, you can see some of these vehicles coming in and out of here. And this is going to be uh, probably the scene of a heavy law enforcement presence for some days. The FBI and the ATF are also on the scene. All right. Brian Todd, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Caitlin. So we still have big questions, obviously, about all of this. I want to bring in L. Louise Lucas. She is a Virginia state senator. The shooting occurred in her district in Chesapeake. And good morning. I know this is not the news, obviously, that you wanted to be waking up to this morning. You were weighing in on this last night. I just want to start on what is the latest that you've learned in the hours since this happened about what exactly transpired inside that Walmart? 
Well, you were saying waking up this morning, a lot of us didn't get much sleep last night, did not rest well, and will not rest well until we get a handle on this gun violence. We need gun violence prevention in Virginia. And I'll tell you, for all the people who are saying that their hearts and prayers go out to these people, I don't want to hear any more about that until they get serious about gun violence prevention. That's the only thing that's going to stop us from having to stand before these cameras or write these these tip lines saying that we are our hearts and prayers go out to the family. We can do something to stop this. And I am sick and tired of legislators giving mouth service to it after we have these violent uh, mass shootings and then do nothing about it when they have an opportunity to go back to the legislature and do something about it. Right after the, the mass shooting in Virginia Beach, we all came together with the hope that we were going to present some gun violence prevention measures only to abruptly adjourn without getting anything done. With the exception, of course, the following year, I did get Senate Bill number 70 passed, which is the uh, universal background checks bills. But we need to beef up that bill as well. We need to be more uh, on, on point with how we deal with these uh, red flag uh, uh, bills. And I'm just telling you, I'm just sick and tired of legislators talking about how their hearts and their thoughts and prayers go out to these families when they're doing nothing to prevent this gun violence in the first place. That's yeah. where the metal meets the road. And so until the legislature is prepared to do something about that, I don't want to hear any more about thoughts and prayers. I want to see some action. Gun violence prevention. There's too much access to these violent, to these weapons of mass destruction. There, there's too much access to guns, period. As a matter of fact, as you know, even our lieutenant governor uh, campaigned with a long gun. What kind of message did that send to the people of the Commonwealth? And even our governor, when he was campaigning for office, said, he wasn't going to do anything about guns in Virginia. How are we going to ever prevent these mass shootings if we don't do something to prevent this mass well, destruction of lives? And, and, Senator, those are big questions. And that frustration that you have is palpable, and I'm sure it's shared by so many who are, A, still reeling from what happened in Colorado, also the shooting that happened in Virginia just last week. So big questions about that. I do want to start, though, on the investigation itself, because we still have big questions this morning. And I know you've been in contact with authorities. So what have they told you about this? Was this person an employee at this store or a former employee? Have you confirmed that? Well, the, the, well all we know is that this person was a supervisor, but the information that we're receiving right now is very sketchy. And I can understand that because I understand that they have to have space to conduct a full investigation before they put out information so that there's no errors in what they present to the public. I can understand that. But right now, we have a community on pins and needles. We're on edge because we don't know where the next mass shooting is going to occur. And for people who don't think it's going to happen in their community, in their school, in their Walmart, in their church, all they've got to do is wait because they're going to be in line. Until we do something to prevent destruction of lives through gun violence, I just don't know what else I can say. Well, it is time for us to act and stop giving it lip service. We need to do something, and we need to do it now. I, for, in one for in particular, will be presenting more gun violence prevention measures in the 2023 session of the General Assembly. And I want people to stand by and watch to see all those people who will be rebuffing that, those, that legislation, who will not vote for it. That's where the metal meets the road. When you're in a position to make a difference, you need to act and do something about it. And yes, I'm very frustrated. I'm frustrated because I'm tired of seeing people get gunned down senselessly when we're in a position to do something about it and just sit on our hands and do nothing. Well, I mean, your frustration, I understand this is your district. I understand this hits home for you, obviously. And I know 
You know this store well. A lot of people were saying this is the store that everyone would go to. One, we saw one person said her parents went there every weekend. Do you have a sense, you know, we're right, before, we're right before the Thanksgiving holiday, how crowded was it? What have you heard about that? Oh, my heaven. Look, I, look and, and I, I didn't want to, to, to talk about my visit to, to, to uh, down on Battlefield Boulevard yesterday. I was down there for several reasons. I went to Herbal Pharmacy to get pills. I went down to the car dealership to look at vehicles. I was right there on Battlefield Boulevard within three miles of this Walmart. Who knows where the next mass shooting is going to occur? We have got to do something. Yes, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated to the point of tears, as you can see right now, because we're in a position to do something, and this legislature just does not have the will to do it. Can we? And I'm telling you, we all know who the people are, and I'm just saying it's time now for people to start electing people who have their best interest at heart, who care about whether or not they live or die. Can we talk about what more uh, you think this legislature can do? Because you're right, it took so long after the Virginia Tech shooting, 2007, 33 people murdered. It took until 2020 for Governor Northam to sign that legislation that includes red flag laws and includes some other limits on guns. It does not. This assault weapons ban died in the state legislature. What do you actually think can be done in this next session? Well, I tell you what, the only thing I can tell you is that it takes the people who are in control of the legislature to do something to make that difference. Uh, we can't do it without a majority of people in the House and the Senate being in agreement that it's time to stop the gun violence. That's where the rubber meets the road. It all depends on who is in the legislature, who is introducing the bills, and who's taking those votes. Look at the roles. All you have to do is go back and look at past legislation that we've introduced, and you will see exactly who's been voting against these bills. I don't want to start pointing fingers this morning because I think you all know who those folks are. No, we don't. We don't know who they are. We don't know who they are. And see just how many people will not be in support of State gun Senator. control. Yes. We, yes, we don't. We're, look, we're not. The people who are watching this are not steeped in the politics of where you are. This is a national show, an international show. We don't know who they are. You don't want to point fingers, but what do you mean by that? Specifically, what are you saying? Well, I mean, what I mean is that when you have people who are running for office, I don't care if it's at the state level or the national level, and they are campaigning with long guns and weapons of mass destruction, what does that say to the larger community? What does that say? I mean, you cannot be pictured with these long guns and, and, and with the proliferation of access to guns and think that people aren't going to follow what you're saying because a lot of this stuff is copycat all yeah. across this nation. You see, one, one person goes into the school and kill a lot of innocent children, go into a Walmart, kill a lot of innocent people, go into a church, kill a lot of innocent people. It is a global issue. It is not local. It is not just Virginia. I'm just relating to it as like Virginia because it's hit me right where I live. But I'm saying on a national level, we need to do something to con- not uh, to prevent this gun violence. And it's all across the nation because it's, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's like a pandemic is hitting everywhere. Thank you, Senator. Yeah, Virginia State Senator uh, Louise Lucas, thank you. We, are we appreciate it. We appreciate so your passion. Thank you. I, I, I'm so happy that you, you came so on and, you're, and you talked about this. Yeah. We're sorry for what happened in your community, but we appreciate your passion, your candor, your honesty, uh, and we will have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Can I, can I say one thing? 
There have been two, these two big mass shootings at Walmart. Remember El Paso Mm -hmm. and the mass shooting at Walmart killed 22 people. Companies can make decisions and make changes. Walmart made a ton of them. Right. Mm-hmm. They still sell guns, but they stopped selling assault rifles, AR-15, handguns. No, I'm not. I'm yeah. saying I'm talking about availability of guns around mm-hmm. the country. And companies have a lot of choices to make. And Walmart made a lot of changes. Well, and an important thing that after she's, these. Yeah. I mean, the, it's a big questions for Walmart and what they do in wake of this. Also, it's interesting what she confirmed there, which we had not had confirmed, which is this is a supervisor. at the That's store. right. It sounded like current, but we don't, we'll find out. We'll confirm all that. We're awaiting a press conference. We'll get much, much more on this story. We've got to get to some other news now. Breaking news happening. It's out of Jerusalem. Where, that's where police say two explosions this morning are suspected of being combined, a combined terror attack. This is where you're looking at now, this video that has been widely shared on social media showing one of the blasts as it happened that ended with a 16-year-old student dead. Hadis Gold uh, joins us now from the site of one of the explosions in Jerusalem. Uh, so good morning to you. What can you tell us about these bombings, Hadass? Don, I'm at the site of the first explosion. This is a bus stop along the one of the busiest arteries in and out of the city. Police say that the ex- first explosion happened here just after 7 a.m. They say a bag was placed here just on the fence behind me. You can see people are gathering here to take a look at the scene. People have been praying here. And the explosion went off just after 7 a.m. The, the force of that explosion was so wide that when we came here for uh, earlier this morning, we could see debris far into the street, almost to the median in the middle of the street. 30 minutes later, another explosion took place just down the hill from here. In total, more than 19 people were injured, and as you noted, a 16-year-old has been killed. Police say they believe this was a coordinated terrorist attack, the likes of which a bomb like this that Israel has not seen in years. It's bringing back many, many memories of the second intifada, when suicide bombings and bombs on buses, bombs at bus stations became a regular occurrence. But a bomb like this has not happened in some time. Now, while this has been a record death, year for both Israelis and Palestinians. This attack this morning, this shows a level of sophistication and of organization that Israeli authorities says that they have not seen. Now, no group has claimed responsibility, no militant group, although the Hamas militant group has praised the operation and police say that they are still looking for the suspects who could have placed these bombs. Uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid has been holding a security assessment and has been including the incoming Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in that security assessment. Hadas, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Poppy? Ukraine's President Zelensky condemning a Russian attack on a hospital maternity ward. This happened in the southern Zaporizhia region. A newborn baby was killed in that rocket attack, and Ukraine's military says the child's mother and a doctor were pulled from the rubble of the destroyed hospital. Matthew Chance joins us live in Odessa. Matthew, good morning to you. Another attack, right? We all remember that first attack months ago on the maternity ward. Now another. He's gone. Hey, Poppy, sorry, we're having a few technical details here. We're in the middle of this southern front line uh, in uh, southern Ukraine. And, you know, there are power cuts, there are power outages, and that's making the the signal uh, a little bit patchy. So my apologies for that. But look, on that attack on the maternity clinic in Zaporizhia, Zaporizhia, um, absolutely tragic. And of course, another example of just how appalling and brutal this conflict has become for ordinary Ukrainian civilians. The latest information we have from Zaporizhia is that this maternity clinic was struck by
by a Russian S300. It's usually a surface-to-air missile, but they're using them uh, for ground attack purposes now. A young baby, um, just a couple of days old, was, was killed, uh, along with uh, a couple of other injuries as well. A, a mother was injured, a doctor as well, in the maternity clinic. And it is you know, absolutely appalling that these things are taking place. And of course, it comes in the context of a much broader campaign by Russia to strike at infrastructure targets across Ukraine. They're targeting, for the most part, energy infrastructure. As I mentioned, that means that there are power outages and power out, out, uh, cutouts across the country, um, making life extraordinarily difficult for ordinary Ukrainians. If they're now targeting hospitals as well, that would take us to new depths in this conflict, Poppy. A little baby. A mother without her baby this morning. Uh, Matthew Chance, we appreciate your reporting from Odessa. All right. Also this morning, one day after arguably the greatest upset in World Cup history, four more matches are on the schedule. One of them, Morocco versus Croatia, just wrapped up with no goals. Amanda Davis is live from Qatar for CNN this morning. Amanda, it was a very unsatisfying 90 minutes for those fans who were watching that uh, Morocco versus Croatia match. Yeah, Caitlin, I've seen over the last 24 hours or so a number of the coaches from around this competition using Saudi Arabia as motivation. Either don't let an Argentina happen to us or we can beat anybody depending on which side of the footballing spectrum you are. It was always going to be difficult, wasn't it, to live up to what we saw yesterday. But I think it's fair to say that Morocco uh, game was easing us into the day gently. They're still looking for their first World Cup win since 1998 after that goalless draw against Croatia. In terms of that group's other game, we see Canada, who I've seen described as the hipster team of this tournament. They make their uh, debut back for the first time since 1986 against Belgium. Before that, some real footballing heavyweights, uh, Germany and Spain in action. I'm just rooting for a goal period. There has to be something in those 90 minutes as we're watching this, Amanda. Thank you, we'll check back in with you. All right, as she was just noting, Saudi Arabia's win against Argentina. It might be one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history, but is it the biggest? Harry Inton, what's the answer to that question? So what, what, what is the answer to that question? We have run the numbers. <laughs> if someone ran the numbers, it wasn't me. It was, in fact, the largest upset in World Cup history. It had just an 8.7% chance of happening. That beats, I'm sure, some of our viewing audience remembers the USA over England in 1950. I don't remember <laughs> that. Uh, but look... It's number one. It's the biggest upset, and that's why we're talking about it this okay, morning. Okay, but when it comes to recent sports history, is it the biggest? It is not. So this one has popped up everywhere. Leicester City. Whoa. In, in the Look at those odds. Look I like them. Look at those odds. 5,001. Man alive, do I wish I bet on that one. Leicester City winning the Premier League championship back in the 2015-2016 season. That is, in fact, the largest one. There is simply nothing else that comes anywhere close. 5,001 events basically never happen. To put it in some, some statistical perspective, you have a far better chance of meeting someone who was born on February 29th, which, of course, only happens once every four years. Okay, so this is happening in Qatar. Obviously, we've been checking in with Amanda to watch this. Everyone's getting up at crazy hours to watch these games. What about big upsets in U.S., in major sports in the U.S.? Please don't mention that Auburn-Alabama game in the kick six because I might have to leave. Uh, don't worry. I, this is just in <laughs> modern championship series in professional right. sports. So, look, 1969, the Miracle Mets over the Orioles. The differential between these two teams in the regular season was huge. The Mets, of course, came out of nowhere. The NBA Finals, the Detroit Pistons over the L.A. Lakers. I think they, it was another ridiculous comeback. 
And of course, the Super Bowl three in 1969. A, a lot of our guys on our crew love this game. The Jets over the Colts. The Jets were, I believe, a 17 or 18 point underdog. That was an absolutely huge upset. People still talk about it to this day. Yeah, that was an amazing game. Okay, but I see these are what the numbers show. But when it comes to what we think of as the biggest upsets, does it match this, or are there other other games that really people think of? So you know, putting aside championship series, right? The finals. Uh, let's look at some other ones. Look, we obviously all remember the miracle on ice. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, Al Michaels said back in 1980 when the USA hockey team beat the USSR in the 80 Olympics. And this one is one of my favorites. Uh, this probably doesn't necessarily correspond with a lot of our viewing audience because it happened back in 1951. The Giants beat the Dodgers for the 51 NL pennant. But my father, who was alive during this time, went into his car frequently just to listen to this. <laughs> it actually brought up his spirits. And it was the type of thing he talked about over and over. He would and go over back again. later and listen to it. Yes, like in like 2010, he would go into his <laughs> car and listen to this. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. It's a huge moment. Russ Hodges, it is up there. These are the two best probable calls calls in sports broadcasting. Okay, history. so this for your dad it is for me when Alabama played Tennessee and Mount Cody blocked that punt and it was awesome and the field went wild. Sometimes I go back and watch that on YouTube. Yeah, my father, if my father knew how to use a computer, he would have gone back, <laughs> but he listened to the audio tape. He'd literally go into the car. All right, Harry Anton, let's see if there's any upsets coming up this week. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're All right, here. President Biden has been <laughs> providing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be watching to see what happens. Uh, President Biden, meanwhile, is providing temporary help to millions of Americans. His student loan debt relief plan has been tangled up in the courts. We'll tell you what you need to know if you applied for one of those. And despite a shaky economy, retailers are expecting a rockin' holiday season as Black Friday rockin'. approaches a rockin'. Rockin'. <laughs> More CNN This Morning to come after the break. All right, so this happened overnight. The Biden administration has once again extended its freeze on student loan repayments for millions of Americans. But this is in the middle of the president's loan forgiveness program being tied up in all these legal challenges. The forgiveness plan is worth up to $20,000 in debt relief per borrower under a certain income threshold. And the payment pause was going to expire at the end of the year. Now they've extended it into 2023 with the promise of federal relief still unresolved. Uh, listen to what the president posted in this video on Twitter. We're not going to back down, though, in our fight to give families breathing room. That's why the Department of Justice is asking the Supreme Court of the United States to rule on the case. But it isn't fair to ask tens of millions of borrowers eligible for relief to resume their student debt payments while the courts consider the lawsuit. For that reason, the Secretary of Education is extending the pause on student loan payments while we seek relief from the courts, but no later than June 30, 2023. They're really confident this is legal even after the federal judge said they overstepped constitutionally and I'm not so sure. I mean, they, they did this all based on a COVID law that basically said that agencies could have this power to pause things in a crisis. And they're arguing this crisis extends to now. That's And that's what the Republican states are saying. They're saying, well, you claim this was because of the pandemic. Now this is the argument. And Biden did say yesterday, he said he was, quote, completely confident that his plan is legal. But this is going to be one of it's one of the most controversial issues that the Biden administration has faced on this. The other thing is now, because they are extending the freeze on repaying your student loans for right. those even that weren't covered by what he was going to forgive. They said it wouldn't 
be inflationary, it wouldn't add to inflation because the payments were going to restart in January. Well, now they may not start until That's next fall. That's a really mm. good point. Because it takes six months after the court has resolved the issue before you can actually start, re- they can legally have you start repaying. So it could be, if they don't get it resolved by June, it could be not until next September that people are paying this back. It's a, it's a very in- complicated, but this affects so many people. It's so important for so many folks. All right. We are just days away from one of the most important shopping days of the year, and that is Black Friday. Post-pandemic shoppers are returning to stores, but with customer confidence down and inflation up, are there any big deals out there? That's the question. Vanessa Yurkiewicz, live for us on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan for CNN this morning. Good morning to you. What are you seeing on the street out there? Where are all these deals? At, are they online? Are they at the stores? What's up? Well, Don, it's a little bit quiet right now, but in a couple hours, we should see this area bustling with holiday shoppers looking to grab deals. The National Retail Federation is projecting a record shopping season despite high inflation, where Americans are paying more on everything from food, gas, rent, and they're carrying higher credit card debts, up 15% from last year. That's the highest in 20 years, according to the New York Fed. So we wanted to know, are shoppers going to still be shopping this season? Take a listen and watch. On this year's holiday shopping menu, more sales, but with a healthy side of inflation. Cutting off your circulation. I'm I'm going crazy. Denise Saletti is in the middle of her holiday shopping at Willowbrook Mall in Wayne, New Jersey. This is for my mom, and then I got stuff for my kids and my niece. And, oh my God. But this year, the wish list is looking a little different. Last month, inflation cooled, but was still running hot at 7.7% year over year. I've had a cutback on shopping because things are too expensive. I mean, I do have three girls. They do understand that, you know, times are hard right now, and it's just me being a single mom. Despite high inflation, the National Retail Federation estimates that nearly 8 million more people will shop between Black Friday and Cyber Monday and spend up to 8% more this year than they did last year. We're looking at records in all categories. It is remarkable in the face of the cost and the price pressures that consumers are still finding a way to increase their spending, power the economy, drive economic activity. Last month, retail sales beat expectations, up 1.3% in October. But this month, consumer sentiment fell. Still, higher prices haven't stopped some people from shopping. Has that impacted the way you're going to spend this holiday season? Um, for me, not really, because I try not to overspend anyways. So even before this is going on, I try not to exceed what I can do. And according to the National Retail Federation, while online sales are expected to increase this year, a return to in-store shopping will make up a larger portion of all holiday sales. I kind of like um, in-person more. You do? Why, why is that? I don't know. It's just more of the feel of being able to touch it, being able to see it, being able to try it on for the stores that you're allowed to, um, and then being amongst everybody else. It's that holiday nostalgia that Willowbrook Mall says will help this year's shopping season return to pre-pandemic expectations. Do you anticipate that inflation will play a role in how people shop, people coming to the mall? I think people are planning better in terms of what their spend's going to be. I think they've budgeted. I don't cut back at Christmas. How many more stores are you going to? Oh, maybe five more. Five more? Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> 
And shoppers clearly out looking for deals. The National Retail Federation saying that sales have started early this year, just like they have in the past, but they are going to go longer this year so that retailers can try to move out all their inventory. And one big change we're hearing about this year, Don, is that retailers are getting rid of free return shipping. That's been a big draw for folks looking to order multiple gifts. Bummer. So, Don, I'm going to be around here on Fifth Avenue for a couple hours. If there's anything on your gift list you want me to check out in store, I can get that for you, but you will have to return in store. But then again, you'll save on that return shipping. Don. Remember, you offered as I He's am texting, texting you. you right now. Thank you, Vanessa. Can Short I? list. Yeah, I see those texts popping up. Um, wait, Debbie Downer, I need a moment. Credit card interest rates are at a record high. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not to be careful it's, what you buy. It's good. I'm serious. That and books on tape for you this morning. Yes. Thank That's you. what I got for you. A chilling real-life example of the danger of conspiracies. The FBI says a man believed Congress is running a child slave ring and made death threats against public officials. We're going to discuss that next. This morning, a Michigan man has been arrested, accused of threatening to kill FBI Director Christopher Wray and California Congressman John Garamendi. The suspect apparently believing a child slave ring is being run out of Congress. It's not. This is just the latest in a rash of violent threats against lawmakers. So let's bring in CNN's Brent Gengrass to talk about all of this with us. I mean, it just seems they get more outlandish by the day. But what can you tell us about what we know about I mean, this threat? It's overwhelming for law enforcement at this point how much is happening. And it's just becoming a greater concern to the FBI and to Homeland Security because in many cases this can be more than just words. Right, guys? This, these threats against elected officials, law enforcement, they've been increasing just within recent months. Several members of Congress and their families have been on the receiving end of dangerous rhetoric. And in some cases... We know that has led to physical violence, of course, look no further than the assault of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. Prosecutors are accusing a Michigan man of threatening to kill a California congressman and FBI director Christopher Wray. According to an indictment on November 4th, Capitol Police were made aware of threatening voicemails left for Democratic Congressman John Garamendi. The accused, Neil Matthew Walter, allegedly said in a message, John, hey, John, you're going to die, John, you're going to die. It's just all of the hate talk that's readily available on uh, all of the social media platforms. Uh, it incites people uh, to these kinds of violent threats and violent action. In comments posted on a live stream of Ray's testimony before Congress last week, Walter allegedly wrote, I will kill you, Director Ray. You will die. I will kill you in self-defense. Court documents allege Walter's Facebook posts had numerous comments stating beliefs about a conspiracy theory that elected politicians, government officials, Tom Cruise and Elon Musk are involved in a child slave rape ring. One location for where this ring purportedly took place, the U.S. Capitol. On November 8th, federal authorities reached out to Michigan police to perform a welfare check. According to court documents, during the encounter, Walter refused to put down his handgun and said he would defend himself against the U.S. government. Last week, the Democratic-led Senate Homeland Security Committee released a report finding that the department and FBI are not adequately addressing domestic terrorism. Ray testified to the threat before the committee last year. We're also countering lone domestic violent extremists, radicalized by personalized grievances, ranging from racial and ethnic bias to anti-government, anti-authority sentiment, 
to conspiracy theories. In fiscal year 2021, the FBI received over 8,000 referrals of possible domestic terrorism incidents. By late 2021, the FBI was conducting approximately 2,700 investigations, of which a significant portion were related to the Capitol attack on January 6. Domestic violent extremism is a terrorism-related threat to the homeland that we have been tracking now for a considerable amount of time. It's one of the greatest terrorism-related threats we face in the homeland. Now, something important to note here, according to the paperwork, Walter's parents told law enforcement guys that their son has struggled with his mental health. He has been in and out of mental health institutions. So this brings a whole nother facet of this. But, Don, you even reacted to those numbers on, uh, that we showed. I mean, the amount, the volume of cases that law enforcement is dealing with is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. All right. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I want to bring in now, joining us now is Tinjirai Komanika, is a journalism professor at NYU, and his research focuses on uh, the intersections of social justice and emerging media. It's so good to see you again. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Thanks for having me. Professor, why are we obsessed with foreign terrorism and we're not obsessed with domestic terrorism when it is the number one threat? Well, you know, I think uh, part of this does have to do with the fact that with what we call foreign terrorism, it's like they're not like us. But here, you know, it's interesting. There was a study by the Brookings Institution that said we tend to individualize these domestic terrorist acts, especially when the assailants tend to be or the people threatening tend to be white men. We just think of them as individual incidents and not part of a larger problem. Unfortunately, as we're seeing, there really is a larger problem. Why do we think of them as individual and not part of a larger problem? Yeah, I just it's an interesting question. I think who are we used to seeing as threats, right? We think of threats from the outside. Maybe we think of threats when they're if it's. Um, people who are trying to think critically about, you know, law enforcement, you know, black people, to be honest. But I don't think we've tended to think about these kinds of folks, even the people in the Capitol riots. I mean, one thing that's interesting is the military is increasingly concerned because a lot of their veterans are becoming vulnerable to these conspiracy theories and were disproportionately involved in these kinds of events. Mm. When you look at this uh, report released by the Senate Homeland uh, Security uh, and Government Affairs Committee just last week says that, that, you know, uh, the Homeland Security Department, the FBI, social media company have basically all failed to adequately address this, right? So it's not just one institution or one prong across the board. And it's not for a lack of funding, right? Right. So what is it? Well, you, I'm glad you brought up the funding, Poppy, because there was a sort of like $10 million released for funding, but it's not actually getting to the research. To research the why. To research the why. What, what makes people more likely to turn to violence in these situations? And I think that's important because there is a way forward here. We see that in the research that has come out, for example, there was a, a research by the, the National Institutes of Justice in 2015. When people become disconnected for their communities, when, they, when people who seek adventure, all these different things predict Who's going to do this stuff? So there's a way forward. I think we just have to start looking for the threat in the right places. And so much of it is legitimized, though, by not just political leaders, also business leaders. I mean, look what happened after the Paul Pelosi attack. You saw very prominent people, maybe not outright saying the conspiracies that were surrounding that initially, but alluding to them, not including the former president, Elon Musk, all of these other figures. How much does that factor into kind of giving people the the ability to say, yeah, maybe this is true. I'm so glad you brought this up because social media clearly plays a factor here. I mean, you know, we saw, for example, with this person uh, recently with this threat on the FBI director that he was posting these wild, absurd theories on on Facebook. But I think that um, these things are being authorized by politicians who are sitting right now 
uh, in, in Congress. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. I mean, they're, they're playing a game, trying to appeal to some of their constituents who they think might like this, and the consequences are real. I mean, someone ran into, into Nancy Pelosi's home. I mean, so I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of these factors. But again, when people become disconnected from their communities, um, when they start to sort of, you know, buy into this stuff, there are real warning signs and more research can help us really get to the bottom of this and find a way forward. I think we have to realize that, look, this is all connected. I mean, from election conspiracies, right, to QAnon, to, you know, some of the things that you hear, a lot of the things that you hear at these sort of MAGA rallies, um, you see the hate that's happening in Colorado Springs. It's all connected, and yet it seems like we don't really want to face it or we don't know how to deal with it. What is your, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're so right, right? It's sort of, it's, it's, it's kind of weird and it almost seems incoherent, except that um, there is a real coherence. I mean, we see certain kinds of politicians promoting it. I mean, one thing I would say is that, first of all, nothing ever justifies turning to violence to solve problems. And that's what I think in the larger situation of America, we have to realize, like, that's not the way to go. But people are trying to think critically about government. And I think we should. We should be able to have different uh, viewpoints, but these things aren't even coming from real principal critiques of government. It's like absurd fantasies about what's happening. So, again, uh, I, I do think it's important to connect the dots, Don. You're right on. We appreciate you and people like you studying it and, and helping us try to get our heads around it. Professor Chen and I, Kumanika, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Great conversation. Appreciate thank you yeah. so much. Thank Thanksgiving. You with us. All right. All right. You too. All right, as companies like Disney face a reckoning over the cost of movies and streaming, wait until you hear how much James Cameron says the Avatar (laughs) sequel will need to break just to break even. Plus, speaking of conspiracy theories, our conspiracy theorists, Alex Jones ordered to pay even more millions for lying about Sandy Hook families. But will he be forced to? More CNN this morning to come after the break. You can believe it or not, next month marks the 25th anniversary of the release of Titanic. The director, James Cameron, is sharing some surprising new details, though, about the film, specifically the two romantic leads that you see there. Cameron told GQ he almost did not cast Leonardo DiCaprio or Kate Winslet in the film. I actually didn't see Kate at first. She had done a couple of other historical dramas as well, and she was getting a reputation as corset Kate doing historical stuff. And so I thought, oh, man, this is going to look like the laziest casting in the world. All right, I'll meet her, sure. You know, but I was thinking maybe Gwyneth Paltrow or somebody else. Hmm. As for Leo, there were also some initial hookups. Cameron said that the actor, who had by then already had an Oscar nomination under his belt, he was surprised to learn he actually had to run his own lines and do a screen test with Kate. He said, wait, wait, wait. You mean if I don't read, I don't get the part just like that? And I said, oh, yeah, come on. This is like a giant movie. I'm not going to f*** it up by making the wrong decision in casting. So you're going to read or you're not going to get the part. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Titanic, of course, went on to win 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director for Cameron, so clearly it was worth, worth, it, worth it to rehearse those lines, do those screen tests. Mm-hmm. I love that movie so much. All right, 
Listen to this. Cameron also revealing his upcoming movie, Avatar 2, The Way of Water, will need to make profit of more than $2 billion at the global box office just to break even. He told GQ the movie is very, this is a quote, very effing expensive and possibly represented, quote, the worst business case in movie history. I'm sure studios love that. To put that in perspective, only five films have ever crossed the $2 billion mark. And, of course, Cameron's first installment of the Avatar series currently holds a record for highest-grossing film of all time at May $2.9 billion. Let's bring in our friend CNN senior media reporter Oliver Darcy. Hi. Hi. Is he going to do, do it? Why do they, good morning to you. Why do they keep doing these big box office movies if they're not making that much money because a lot of, I'm watching a lot yeah. of streaming. I, I, I can't remember. This is just me. Going I, to the movies? I can't remember the last time I went to a movie. Well, the other thing, too, to keep in mind is I, mean, I think the, the idea here with Avatar was it's the top grossing movie of all time, right? $2.9 billion at the box office. But I think the issue here is that that came out during uh, the 3D craze when people really wanted to see 3D movies. A lot of people went to Avatar in theaters just to see the visual effects. It was supposed to be the seminal film of, uh, that really ushered in this new era of movie making. And I think the 3D fad has really died out now. And since Avatar is so closely associated with that, it's going to be interesting to see whether it can also perform as well at the box office this time around. Is box office dying out, though? Well, for blockbusters, we're seeing the box office has come back quite a bit. Uh, Don, the, the box office, like you saw earlier this year with Top Gun, Black Panther, people are going back to the box office for those big blockbuster movies. Avatar obviously expected to be one of those. And so, you know, it, I, I think that the issue with that movie, again, is whether people want to go and see a 3D movie. When was the last time you saw a 3D movie? I, I don't I remember. You remember you should get the 3D glasses with yeah. your big screen television. And you have to put they don't them even do that. Yeah, your really other glasses, too. Not all of us. Some of us contacts. Top Gun was a huge hit. You're right. The big blockbusters. They do make the dough. But yeah. Yeah. The okay. box office struggling, though. The other thing that's happening, though, this morning that I have been watching closely is Alex Jones. He's been yeah. ordered to pay $45 million more dollars. Obviously, this was a massive case where you saw the, this read out for the victims. of He pushed lies about the school shooting, the Sandy Hook shooting. He has now been ordered to pay. So now it's about $1.5 billion that he already owes. Now this other $45 million. I think a question that people have is, are the families actually going to see any of this? And does this... Does this is Alex Jones out of commission now, given he has to pay so much money to these victims? Yeah, I think what happened in Texas was really actually quite extraordinary because the judge threw out this punitive uh, judgment cap in Texas and said that the lies that Alex Jones told about the Sandy Hook parents were so reprehensible, were so vile that this punitive cap in Texas was not going to apply because she saw no other recourse for this pair of families. Whether they see the money, that's, that's the big issue. And I think you've seen other lawyers say that they are going to chase Jones to the end of the earth to get him to pay up this money. They've been waiting a long time. These cases have been years in the making. And so they will battle him in court for a few more years, probably, because he's going to do everything he can to delay this. By the end of the day, he's going to have to pay a good sum of this money. And it's going to be difficult, I think, for his business, his conspiracy empire, to stay afloat once he has to start writing these checks. He keeps selling. He keeps going. Even after court, he keeps going back and, you know, onto his platform and saying the globalists are after me and all this yeah. stuff and, uh, and, and raising money on, um, I don't know, what does he do, like health products or <laughs> Something and, ra and raising money, much like the former president, he gets the money from the people and that keeps fueling his website Slaps. or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, he has, though, stopped really making these false flag 
uh, conspiracy theories. So I think you're seeing at least some positive development there. He's really shied away from using these uh, horrible shootings to uh, make money. But you're right. He is still going on his platform every day and, and lying. And there's really no uh, no way that it's going to stop. I mean, he's he's going he, he showed he does not care about the truth. The only way people can hold him accountable is by going to courts when he does defame them. And you're seeing him being held accountable for these Sandy Hook lies right now. Thank you, Oliver. Appreciate it. Thank you. We know you had some cranberries to cook, so good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, listen, we, uh, he's just mentioned, uh, you know, the shooting and, and Sandy Hook, what have you. And now we have another shooting that we've been discussing. This one is happening in Chesapeake, Virginia. It happened in Pe- Chesapeake, Virginia. You're looking at uh, where the podium is being set up for a news conference. It's going to happen. A shooting, six people dead at a Walmart, plus the shooter. We're going to bring that to you live in just moments. Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you could join us. It is Wednesday, November 23rd. Welcome to CNN this morning. And we have a horrific story that is happening. There is no end in sight to the carnage. The nation still mourning one mass shooting. When we learn about another, a gunman opening fire overnight inside a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. This is what we know at this hour. Police confirming now that six people were killed inside the store. The shooter is also dead. We don't know if there was a standoff with the police or whether officers fired a shot. The gunman's motive still unclear this morning. And police are going to be holding a news conference any moment now. When it begins, we are going to take you there live to hopefully get more details on what Poppy just laid out. Moments ago, we did hear from the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. He tweeted, our hearts break with a community of Chesapeake this morning. Heinous acts of violence have no place in our communities. Obviously, they've been reeling not just from this one, but the also UVA shooting that happened. Let's get straight to that press conference now. I am the public information officer for the Chesapeake Police Department. Uh, thank you for coming out this morning. This is going to be our uh, press update for the uh, mass shooting that occurred at the Walmart last night on North Battlefield Boulevard. I'd like to introduce the person standing up here with me. I'm going to start on my far left. That is uh, Mr. Commonwealth Attorney Matt Hamill. Matt, common spelling, Hamill is H-M-E-L. Next to him with the state police is Captain Greg Mathias. He's the division commander for the state police. Greg's common spelling, Matthias is M-A-T-H-I-A-S. Standing next to him is Sheriff Jim O'Sullivan. Jim common spelling, O'Sullivan is capital O apostrophe, capital S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N. Standing next to him is Chief Fire Chief Ed Elliott. Elliott is E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Standing next to him is uh, Police Chief Mark Seleski. M-A-R-K. Seleski is S-O-L-E-S-K-Y. And then to my immediate left is our city manager, Chris Price, common spelling. Um, Going to ask the city manager to come up and give some remarks. After that, Chief Seleski is going to come up and uh, give an update to the incident that occurred. And then after that, we'll we'll take some questions. For future updates after that, we're going to be posting to our city's Twitter account, which is at about Chesapeake. It's the official Twitter account for the city of Chesapeake. So with that, uh, Mr. Price. Thank you. I know it pains all of us to be together today on this day of incredible tragedy and unimaginable sadness. 
Chesapeake's a wonderful place. We come together when, when times are good. We come together when times are difficult. I know that, that we're going through very, very difficult days today and in the days ahead, but, but we will get through this. Mayor West was unable to join us today. He's tested positive for COVID, but he, asked, he has asked me to read a statement. I am devastated by the senseless act of violence that took place last night in our city. My prayers are with all of those affected, the victims, their family, their friends, and their coworkers. I'm grateful for the quick actions taken by our first responders who rushed to the scene. Chesapeake is a tight-knit community, and we are all shaken by this news. Together, we will support each other throughout this time. Please keep us in your prayers. Before I turn it over to Chief Seleski, I'd like to make a few remarks. Um, first of all, I'm very, very proud of the response of our public safety team and our other first responders, including those in human services and, and mental health. You hope a day like this never comes, but we train for it, we practice, we talk about it, we discuss, we learn lessons from other places. We try to put those lessons to get good use, hoping that, that, that those lessons will never have to be put to use. But, but it's kept us in good standing today and hopefully we'll continue to do so in the challenging days ahead. I also wanted to let everyone know that we as a city and a leadership team have been in very close communication throughout the evening with Mayor West and with the Chesapeake City Council. They've been fully briefed on everything that's going on from our response um, to, to what's, what's moving forward in the days ahead, as well as Governor Yunkin and his staff, the Attorney General and his team, members of our federal and state delegation, several of whom are here today. And I want to let you all know that we are united in our support for the victims, their families, their co-workers, and our entire community. And we do ask that you pray with us for everyone impacted by this tragedy. And I'll now turn it over to Chief Seleski. Good morning. We are truly saddened at the tragedy that took place in our community last night. We are all praying for the family, friends, and co-workers of everyone that's affected by this senseless violence. I want to say to them that your Chesapeake community is here for you and will continue to be here for you during the difficult days, months, and years ahead. Chesapeake first responders are well trained for such incidents. They responded immediately and will continue to do the work of investigating and answering questions in the days to come. We also appreciate the multi-agency response we've received, and I'll now go over a timeline of events for you. Our 911 dispatch center received the first call at 10.12 p.m. last night. The first officers arrived on scene within two minutes at 10.14 and entered the store approximately two minutes later at 10.16. The first responding officers entered the store and the scene was declared safe by 11.20 p.m. I would like to express our sincere thanks for the immediate assistance we, see, we received from the Chesapeake Fire Department, the Chesapeake Commonwealth Attorney's Office, the Virginia Beach Police Department, the Virginia State Police, the FBI, and the ATF. While our investigation continues, we can tell you the following. Six victims have died. Four victims are in area hospitals with conditions unknown at this time, and the suspect is dead from what we believe was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The Chesapeake Police SWAT team executed a search warrant at the suspect's residence 
and with the help of the Virginia State Police, we cleared the house. We have reason to believe that there's no risk to the public at this time. Again, while this investigation is ongoing, I'll go ahead and take a few questions now. We cannot tell you the identity of the shooter because his next of kin has not been notified. Amy, yes, sir, over here. There have been a lot of reports that the shooter was an employee of the Walmart. Can you confirm that? Yes, we can confirm that. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear what you said. Uh, he wanted to know was the shooter an employee of Walmart, and we were able to confirm that. Was the shooter in a management position, supervisor? I can't confirm that. You'd have to check with Walmart to be sure. A pistol is all we were able to say at this time. Ms. Miller, did you have a question? Um, can you confirm or do you know if these attacks were targeted against any specific employees or if this individual was shooting at random? We don't know at this time. The investigation is still ongoing, so there's no clear motive at this time. Mr. Hall? What are the, uh, do we know if the victims are also all employees? We can't confirm that at this time. I don't have that information. I'm sorry. Over here, Ms. Yeah. Um, it was said that the shooting happened in the break room. Um, were they, was the door locked behind this individual after the shooting started? Was it, um, can you, I guess, can you share any more information about what happened inside the break room at that time? I cannot. It, like I said, the investigation is still ongoing. We'll be processing that scene for days, so we're really not sure, and I'd hate to put out misinformation. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, not at this time. Not that I'm aware of at this time. Like I said, the investigation is still ongoing. There were no other weapons aside from the pistols that were used? Not that I'm aware of at this time. Sir, can you tell us approximately where in the store the suspect's body was located? I cannot, not at this time. I didn't go in the store myself, so, and like I said, it's still being. Yeah, I, I don't know that at this time. Are there any bodies outside? Uh, I can't confirm that right now. Just to con confirm the shooter was a male, I, I gather from what you're Yes. And, and do you have, can you tell the shooter's age? I don't have that at this time. Mr. Hall? Uh, I was going to ask, do you know, was, was the shooter dead by the time officers found this person, the suspect? As far as I know, he was, yes. Two questions here. Um, First, I believe at first we said there were five, or we heard from Sintera that there were five victims in the hospital. Do we know if one of those people have been released since you said four? I don't know that. I know there's four there now. Okay. And then the other thing that I have, I'm hearing that the suspect may have been playing some type of loud, hardcore type of music. Have you heard that or been able to confirm that as he was going on his... I can't confirm that at this time. Yes, sir. Um, you said that the scene was declared safe around 11.20. Can you walk us through a little bit of, you know, how the shooter was subdued? I mean, we've heard reports that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Anything that they should have just through? Yeah, as I said, at this time, we believe it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Yes, sir. Um, can you, uh, you gave us the, the timeline of, of police response. Do you know for how long the, the shooter himself was active in the store before he shot himself? I, I don't have that information at this time. Do you, um, first, do you have the range of the age of the victims at this time? I don't. And what happens next at this time? Well, the investigation is still ongoing, like I said, so we have to process, process the scene, which could take days. 
Do we know approximately how many customers were inside the Walmart at the time? I, I don't have that information, no. But the store was open? Yes, it was. Was it going to close at 11? I don't know that. Chief, um, witness said that the suspect was laughing during the time of the shooting. Can you confirm that? I cannot confirm that. Was there a security guard, a Walmart security guard there on the premises at all? Not that I'm aware of. You'd have to reach out to Walmart for that. Can you tell us, sir, what city the suspect is from? I don't have that information. State? Is it local? Or I, I'm sorry. I don't want to give you misinformation. I, I don't have it. This was, was the shooter working at the time, or was it a day off? He just showed up? You know, if he was on the clock? I can't confirm that. You'd have to reach out to Walmart for that. But he was a current employee, not Walmart. As far as I know, he was a current employee. And you may not be able to answer this as well. Sure. But do, do you know if the Walmart is going to be closed? I imagine it's going to be closed for some time. Oh, yes. While we process the scene, it'll, it'll stay closed. We're in cooperation with the FBI processing the scene. Sir, the condition of the victims, the current condition, if any are critical or... I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't have that information. The condition's unknown at this time. Do you know if they're all at one hospital or multiple hospitals? Uh, area hospital is all I have. Yes, ma'am. Is there a reason the next of kin hasn't been notified yet? I don't know why, you know, whether or not they're having trouble figuring out who is next of kin are and where they are. I guess, I guess the one quote, you said that you don't believe the community is in danger. What leads you to believe that? What, what, what can the community know that there's not any further threat? I guess that, not that the, this person acted alone? Or? As far as we know now, yes. And that he's deceased. All right. Any, uh, any further information? We'll conclude that at this point. So any information going forward will be pushed out through our city's official Twitter account, which is at About Chesapeake. Thank you. Thank you. You're watching CNN this morning and you're looking at the press conference that is happening in Chesapeake, Virginia. Six people killed overnight uh, at a Walmart uh, and plus the shooter. Police confirming there that the shooter is an employee. Not sure if he was on the clock at the time. Not giving very much information about him, saying that the next of kin has not been notified. But we do know six victims here, four in the hospital, according to uh, the police chief there. They said that they executed a search warrant on the suspect's home and they're still getting information. Um, he, it is not confirmed whether it was a supervisor. Someone said that on the air earlier, a state center, but again, no confirmation there. A pistol, um, they believe that he used, and they don't think that they found any other guns at this point. But of course, this is all ongoing right now, this investigation. They're saying that this Walmart is closed and it will take them days mm -hmm. to figure out what happened at the scene. 10.12 p.m., the call came from 911. 10.14, officers arrived. 10.16, they entered the store, and by 11.20 p.m., they said that the store was declared safe. By the time police got there, the suspect, they believe, had taken his own life with a gun. He was dead when they encountered the suspect. We also, we know six people were murdered uh, by him. What we don't know is the condition of four victims. Four right. victims still in the hospital, condition unknown, which is obviously worrying, right? Normally, at something like this, we would generally hear what sort of level, level they're at, so let's hope for the best, but we just... We don't know. So let's process this with our senior law enforcement analyst, Andrew McCabe. He was former deputy director of the FBI. Andy, thank you very much for being here. 
you you listened to that press conference with us. So what struck you? So, Poppy, it sounds like they are uh, really on top of what they should be doing right now. Obviously, they had a, uh, a quick and effective response to the scene last night. Really very short time, not much time delay between the 911 call and the uh, entry into the store. They've now brought in their federal partners. ATF will undoubtedly be running traces on the gun to understand uh, every time that gun was, was purchased or may have changed hands and how it ended up in the hands of this shooter. The FBI is there, likely with their evidence response team. They will kind of um, you know, run point on on uh, preserving the evidence from what can only be described, I'm sure, as an incredibly gruesome and disturbing crime scene. Um, you know, the chief didn't give us a lot of uh, a lot of information about anything, which, as we we have all been down this road many many times before, we know that's kind of standard practice. I suspect we'll hear more details as the day goes on, uh, things that wouldn't, ha- you know, have any kind of uh, negative impact on the case to share once families have been notified about the identities of victims and, of course, the shooter. So we'll stand by for that. And also what struck me is they said that they had not identified, they're not identifying the, sh- the suspect yet because they haven't identified next of kin. You know, it's been about nine or so hours since they said they determined the scene was safe there. Does that, does that surprise you at all that they haven't yet been able to make contact with the next of kin yet, given they, they clearly know his details since he was an employee of the store? Sure. Yeah, I'm sure they were able to identify him very quickly. Uh, likely had, you know, there may have been other people there who could have identified him. He maybe had identification documents on him or you can actually even identify uh, people from fingerprints on the scene, even if those individuals are deceased. So that's not a problem. But until we know this person's kind of the details of, of his life, he may have lived alone. He may not have any kind of clearly identifying information in his residence, which we know they've searched that would point to individuals, uh, family members. Those people may be out of state. They may be hard to locate themselves. So I think we're just looking at a little bit of a, a slightly longer delay in getting that, but I'm sure we'll get it uh, pretty soon. Uh, stand by, Andrew McCabe. Um, we may need you. We're going to, as we're working through the details of this, again, the press conference just happening uh, just a short time ago in Chesapeake, Virginia, about this gunman who killed six people at the Walmart there. And then, according to police, they believe he killed himself. I want to bring in CNN's Brian Todd now, who was in the room. Brian, are you learning any uh, new details from this since the press conference? And what did you pick up from what police are saying? Right, Don. There were some important gaps that were filled in by Police Chief uh, Mark Zelensky uh, in this uh, news conference. He gave a timeline of how this attack unfolded, saying that the first 911 calls came in at 12 p. 12, excuse me, 10:12 p.m. last night. That the officers arrived on the scene two minutes later, 10:14 p.m., and entered the building at 10:16 p.m. So, from the 911 call to the time the officers entered the building was a total of four minutes. They declared the scene safe at 11:20. Uh, he did confirm uh, what we had heard from a law enforcement source that this was an employee of the store. Uh, That's uh, who the shooter was. They are not giving the shooter's name because the shooter's uh, next of kin have not been uh, contacted yet. Um, We do know that something we didn't know before, the type of weapon used, it was a pistol. I asked, we all asked a couple of times whether there were any other weapons involved, and the chief said he did not know of any other weapons involved. Again, this is a current employee. We do not know whether all of the victims were employees. The chief did not 
not have that information. We're also chasing some information that one of the bodies might have been outside because we have heard accounts of that. But again, the chief did not, uh, he was not able to kind of confirm any of that information yet. It, we know that it took them several hours to process this crime scene, uh, even after they declared it safe, Don, because they were combing through the Walmart trying to find out whether anybody was hiding whether there were any other injured people in the building. And of course, this Walmart, like many of them, is, is a very large complex with rows upon, you know, row upon row of merchandise, counters all over the place. And this store was currently open uh, when this happened. He did not have the information of how many people uh, were inside uh, the building at the time. And didn't know whether he was on the clock or not. And I think it's important to point out still no motive at this point. Just quickly, I think it, it, we would be derelict in not pointing out, Andrew, there have been 606 mass shootings this year alone. That's according to Gun Violence Archive. And we are just reeling from what happened in Colorado Springs. Yeah, Don, I mean, like we've had this conversation uh, so many times. Um, look, the, the, the sad fact of life in America right now is anytime you go to your grocery store, you go to your place of worship, you go to your kid's school, you could be stepping into um, an incredibly lethal, destructive situation. And that is because we have far more guns in this country than we have, uh, than we have people. Uh, there's, there's, you know, more than one gun for every man, woman, and child alive in America today. Uh, we have 4% of the world's population and something like 35 or 40% of its firearms. So um, this is something we can expect to continue experiencing for, for, for quite some time. Yeah, it's just awful to think about all those people, you know, doing last-minute Thanksgiving shopping. Yeah. That's what people are doing yesterday. I was, I went to a store myself. They're always crowded and yeah. just heartbreaking. That's right. Thanks for helping us analyze this. Brian Todd, thanks for being on the scene there. We're going to check back with both of you in, in just moments. This morning, we are also monitoring other major stories, including a suspected terror attack in Jerusalem after a series of explosions. The White House is now weighing in on that. Also, covid Thanksgiving gatherings, all of this happening. We're talking about new data on COVID boosters, and they may not be as effective as experts originally had hoped they would be. We will talk to the White House COVID-19 response coordinator about that next. And the busiest travel day of the year is currently underway on the roads and in the skies. We're going to take you there. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Are you listening to us stuck in traffic? I hope not. <laughs> Today is the busiest day of the year for travel in the U.S. I hope they're not watching us either right. <laughs> while driving. <laughs> That's true. We hope you're cozy at home watching, but 50 million Americans will be on the move over Thanksgiving. Roads, airports, all very crowded. Let's get to our colleague Omar Jimenez. He joins us live from O'Hare International Airport. I've always had smooth flights out of O'Hare. That is not always the case for people, especially on a day like today. How long are the lines? Well, right now, actually, things got a little better. When we first got here in that first wave of flights in the early morning, it was shoulder to shoulder. It was packed. People, I think, in some cases, were surprised to see that we were looking at a level of people here that rivaled pre-pandemic 2019 levels. We talked to one woman who is on her way back to Texas to visit some family, and she said she was a little surprised by what she saw. Take a listen. We were totally thinking about getting here early, which I'm so glad we did because it's even a little more crowded than we expected. So just hoping we make our flight. We gave ourselves two hours, so I hope that's enough. 
Now, she is going to be among the 4.5 million Americans nationwide that are expected to travel or to fly, I should say, over this Thanksgiving period, which is up from last year and is about 99 percent of the 2019 pre-pandemic levels. But as you mentioned before coming to me, the vast majority of people are going, going to be driving this holiday period, also expected to be up from last year. So hopefully people are planning ahead. But for many people, they're doing it this Thanksgiving uh, with a full family for the first time in years. Yeah. That's really nice for so many folks to get to finally be yeah. together. Omar, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, friend. So we're talking about being together. Health is on the minds of so many people this holiday. The threat of the so-called triple-demic ugh, is intensifying. A White House health official will be with us to talk about it. Plus, we have just gotten word that workers at the world's largest iPhone factory in China are clashing with police. We're live in China with a massive update on Foxconn ahead. Wow. Just in this morning, there is a face-off between workers and police at China's biggest iPhone assembly factory. These videos, the ones you're watching now, showing hundreds of workers clashing with law enforcement officers, many of them in white hazmat suits, on the Foxconn campus in central China. Apple has been facing significant supply can- con- supply chain constraints at the assembly facility. They expect the iPhone 14 shipments to be hit just as, of course, as key holiday shopping season begins. CNN's Selena Wang is live for us in China. Selena, I know a lot of this has to do with the compensation, what these workers thought they were getting and what they're actually getting. Yeah, some of these COVID workers in those videos, you can hear them complaining not just about the pay issue, but also the subpar living conditions, what they say are unsanitary conditions. Now, as you say, this is Apple's most important iPhone assembly factory, and it's operating in what's what's called a closed loop system. So these workers, they've got to sleep, eat, live on that campus, and they're saying that their living conditions just aren't good enough. They're even claiming that COVID positive workers are not being moved to a separate facility. People are also fearful about getting COVID. Now, some of these clashes, they are turning violent. You can see them jostling, pushing with the law enforcement. Many of them are there in the hazmat suits. And Caitlin, this chaos, it's actually been going on for weeks. A few weeks ago, videos had gone viral of Foxconn workers actually fleeing, escaping the factory, walking miles across highways to try and get away from these COVID restrictions. All of this is a reminder of the risks that Apple faces by relying so much on China for its production. They've been caught in these snap lockdowns before. It's having an impact on its sales, on its output. China used to be a point of pride for Apple for why it was able to have efficient, low-cost manufacturing. Now it's a risk factor. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing that play out. Selena, keep us updated. Thank you for that. Well, back here in the United States, still no arrests in the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students. But police say they are, quote, making progress and will be holding a briefing this afternoon. Homicides nine days ago have rattled the small town, the small college town of Moscow, where they haven't recorded a murder since 2015. And that's where we find CNN's Natasha Chen for us this morning. Natasha, good morning. Any closer to finding out, finding a suspect here? Good morning, Don. That's exactly the question I asked yesterday. And the answer I got 
was that they are definitely making progress, even though a lot of that behind the scenes work is something that the public is not going to be able to see or hear about. Uh, that a lot of that work includes combing through very large video files, uh, surveillance footage that people have submitted through an online portal, interviewing more than 90 people and chasing more than 700 leads. The incomplete and sometimes contradictory information came in the first days of the investigation. We believe this was an isolated, targeted attack on our victims. Those words echoed in the press, perhaps leaving the impression that the police knew something that should make the public less worried. But some residents and neighbors near the crime scene were not comforted by the terms targeted and isolated. At first, I thought that they actually had something going. So you think that makes sense, like, oh, it's targeted and you wait to see you know, what they say, but now they've said nothing and that they know nothing. So how can you say it's targeted? Then the local mayor went further, telling the New York Times it could have been, quote, a crime of passion, later clarifying that was just one possibility. They don't want people to panic. And yet, unless you have the evidence that you are willing to share with the public and be transparent about how the investigation is going, these words are completely giving false confidence. But police say they can't share their entire case for fear of compromising the investigation. I mean, you can't just put that out into the public's eye. It would impede the investigation and ultimately it might impede justice at the very end of this. But with no suspect identified, many students packed up and left town. There's no perp caught or anything, so it's, it's uh, definitely uneasy on campus right now. By day four, police recognized their assurances of public safety weren't resonating as residents fixated on the fact a killer was not caught. Police Chief James Fry went before the cameras. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. Still calling the crime targeted, but pulling back on assurances there was no public threat and pledging to release more. I probably should have been standing here a day or so ago, but I'm here now. Between 2016 and 2021, there were no murders in Moscow. So when the quadruple homicide stunned this town, the 36-person police force was pressed into unprecedented action with no full-time communication staff. You know, the messaging was a little bit off. Idaho State Police were brought in to assist with public messaging. And really put out hopefully the best information we can. But the rumor mill has been hard to control. A report of a man loitering at a food truck near two of the victims was knocked down by police, who later said they eliminated the man as a suspect. Reports that someone's pet dog was, quote, skinned three weeks before the killings are also believed to be unrelated. Meanwhile, police are trying to protect the integrity of the investigation. If you flood the public with information of everything that's going on, then stories might start merging. Stories are already emerging. Rumors are emerging. Yeah, unfortunately, rumors are out there. Uh, people want answers. You know, a lot of times, uh, or all the time on TV, you know, these are solved within 60 minutes. There's an appetite to make sure these are done. And we totally respect that. And we will put out as much information as we can, as soon as we can. Though some victims' families have expressed frustration with a lack of information. Together, we want to extend gratitude to the following. This week, the family of Ethan Chapin acknowledged answers and justice can only come now from police. The Moscow Police Department, who now carry the burden every day, not only for us, but for all of the impacted families. Police had to clear up yet another thing last night that was floating out there. They said they have so far not been able to verify the existence or identity of a stalker for one of the victims. We hope to get more information and clear up more things that are floating out there during a press conference today at 1 p.m. local time. Awful, but glad you're on top of this, Natasha. Thank you so much.
All right, new this morning, updated COVID-19 boosters offer some protection against infection from the virus, but not as much as the original boosters against earlier variants. During what is likely his final appearance in the White House briefing room, we heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci. He said the data is good, though, and that Americans should still roll up their sleeves to get these new boosters. My message and my final message, maybe the final message I give you from this podium, is that please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Joining us now is the man standing there next to Dr. Fauci, White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, Dr. Ashish Jha. He and Fauci were both there that briefing as we noted. And, and Dr. Jha, when it comes to these boosters. I know that you are on a booster push right now. CNN's Betsy Klein was reporting on this yesterday. But when it comes to this push, people want to know how long this protection is going to last with these new boosters. What can you tell them? Yeah. So good morning. And first of all, thanks for having me back. Um, here's what we know. Uh, we know that these new updated vaccines are far superior to the prior vaccine that we had. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because these new vaccines target the version of Omicron that's out there. So that's sort of fact number one. Fact number two that we know is that if people are up to date on their vaccines, they don't end up in the hospital. They don't end up dying, especially if they get treated, if they have a breakthrough infection. So we're now at a point where we can protect people from serious illness. And, you know, how long are these things going to last? Well, the benefit, certainly for a majority of people from serious illness, should probably last a close to a whole year. Uh, for some high-risk people, it might last a little bit uh, less time. We may need to do a, uh, something else for the highest-risk people, maybe in, later in the spring or summer. But if you want to get through the holidays safely, if you want to avoid getting really sick during the holidays, this is the single most important thing that you can do. But that plan and your outlook for the holidays really relies on people getting the boosters. So far, only 35 million people in the U.S. have gotten one of those revised shots. I know that the White House and the administration bought doses for nearly five times as many people as that. So the question that you were facing and what I would like to know is how do you plan to significantly change that number? Yes, I think the most important thing is we've got to communicate to the American people why it's so important. Look, we're just going into Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and the holidays, lots of socializing, obviously, over the holidays. So this is a really good time for people to get out and go get that, get that shot. What we've seen in the past is when you think about the flu vaccine, also another once-a-year shot, lots of people get that flu vaccine around Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and the holidays. That's what we're expecting with these vaccines. Uh, so we're seeing sort of strong, steady uh, uptake of the vaccine, but we need to that up and get a lot more Americans protected, especially as we get into the holidays. Dr. Jha, it's great to see you. Could I just ask you about sort of the confluence of all of this hitting our kids, right? So, so we're all getting together for Thanksgiving. There's just an increase of spreading any sort of disease, even if everyone's boosted, which I hope they are for COVID. Um, RSV and what's happening in kids. The head of Minnesota Children's Hospital was on the program with us this week. They've like nearly hit capacity for ICU beds. There are children in America getting turned away from ICU beds with RSV and really scared parents. What is your best advice to parents right now, both on that, coupled with increase in flu, coupled with COVID? Yeah, there are three viruses we're dealing with at the same time, as you said them all, COVID, flu, and RSV. So first and foremost, the good news is we've got fantastic vaccines against two of them, COVID and flu. And my recommendation to America's families, I'll tell you what we've done in our family with our children, is made sure that they have gotten vaccinated against those two, COVID and flu. On RSV, certainly a problem. We have seen it now. Looks like it has peaked nationally, starting to turn down. In terms of hospital capacity, we have been in touch with every jurisdiction around the country. We have been very clear if you need extra help, 
help. The federal government is ready to help, ready to send in support staff, ready to support, send in additional supplies. I am confident we're going to get through this, particularly if people step up and protect but, their families with, by getting the COVID and flu vaccines. Just to follow up on your last point, it was the American Academy of Pediatrics and the other national groups that oversee children's hospitals. They've actually petitioned the Biden administration for extra federal funding, and the head of Minnesota Children's told us they could use that as well. Are you confirming that's coming? No, what I'm confirming is that we have made very clear to all the jurisdictions around the country, if you need additional help, if you need additional staffing, if you need additional supplies, we've explained what the mechanism is. They can reach out to us. We have a mechanism by which we assess what, what hospitals and what jurisdictions need. And absolutely, we have been doing this over the last few weeks, assessing and then sending help whenever people need it. I got nothing. You got nothing. Michelle, I got a question for you. Uh, when it comes to the question of the confluence of all three of these, if, if someone gets the flu and then a week or two later gets COVID, does that make their case of COVID more severe? Well, it's a really good question. I mean, we have seen co-infections. Thankfully, they're not very common. Uh, but obviously, you know, flu can really knock you down. And if you're still recovering from the flu and then get another uh, infection on top of that, it certainly makes it much, much harder. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. The, the key here is to try to avoid these things. If you're going to get infected, if you look, these vaccines are terrific. They're not 100 percent at preventing infection, but they are going to prevent you from getting seriously ill. So even if you uh, get the flu or COVID, if you've been vaccinated, you're going to have a much, much easier time. So you're not seeing a lot of, of cases where people are having that combination? Not yet. Not yet. And I'm hopeful that we will not. I mean, look, it can happen. We've seen it with other viruses where you can get co-infection. Uh, but we're obviously hopeful that that's not going to become a major problem. Yeah, of course, big, big concern. And I know you said yesterday a lot of the reason that people are getting more flu, more RSV is because they've been protected from those ah. mitigation measures that we'd seen over the past few years. Dr. Jean, as always, thank you for answering our questions this morning. And we hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. You guys too. Good to see you, doctor. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. So we have more on our breaking news out of Virginia. Six dead after a shooting at a Walmart uh, in Virginia. It comes just days after a shooting at a gay nightclub in Colorado. We're going to speak live with filmmaker Lee Daniels about the state of America. That's next. So happening today, the suspect in the mass shooting at a Colorado Springs uh, gay nightclub will appear in court for the first time after being released from a hospital. This tragedy bringing the community together as mourners gather to pay their respects to the five people killed at a place many believe to be a safe haven. We're going to discuss all of this and a lot more with Academy Award nominated filmmaker as well as a director, a writer, producer, and a longtime LGBTQ activist, Mr. Lee Daniels, and also a very good friend. He is a producer of a new Broadway show, and it's called Ain't No Mo. We're going to talk about that. He's got something coming out on Sammy Davis Jr. You've got, uh, don't you have a gay horror movie coming out? a horror movie, not you, the gay horror just, movie. Oh, horror not, movie. Okay, yeah. I, just, I didn't know if that was. <laughs> so thank you. Yes. Lee, it's so good to see you. You too, my friend. Can we talk about what's happening? Because, listen, you speak out on these issues. Yeah. It's... It, can people even go to an LGBTQ club or a gay club now and feel safe? Like, what is going on? I'm going. I'm going. I'm not going to be afraid by, by uh, these crazies that are out here trying to attack us. Yeah. I'm going. And you better come, too. Do you use this as motivation or inspiration? Absolutely. For All of this is part of the work that I try. I, I'm inspired by this. Not that I want this to happen to any of us, but um, you are in so much pain because of it. You have to figure out a way to deal with it. So I deal with it through writing. Yeah. 
let's talk about the show on yeah. Broadway right now. Ain't no mo. Yeah. I told you. you got I, it right. I, White girl got it right. Baby. <laughs> Ain't no mo. Come on, baby. Add a girl. My husband's gonna be so proud of me. Did you think she was gonna say "Ain't no more"? I thought this was gonna say. No. Add a girl. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for being a friend. Making my morning, making my week. Um, but but we can't wait to see it, all of us. We couldn't go last night because it starts at 8 p.m. We're going to yeah. come to a matinee, but everything I've read about it is just nothing like this has ever been done, certainly ever. on Broadway. Ever. Uh, created with, you worked so closely on this with Jordan Cooper, who's 27 years old. Yes. Here's what he said. This is a play that I thought never anybody would ever produce. You did, yeah. and you say Broadway has not before this been for black people in the way that this is. No, it's not. I mean, unless you are my mom or... You want to see Denzel or Viola and and Sam Jackson and, and that, but this is for this is for my cousins who would rather spend two hundred dollars on a pair of Nike sneakers. Mm-hmm. This is for them, and I don't think Broadway's ever going to be the same. This is the disruptive. It's the most powerful thing I've ever worked on, ever worked on, and it's uh, and it's funny, and it takes a look at. It's funny about a very serious <clears throat> issue. Yeah. Tell people what it's about. Well, let's just say that, um, let's say that the government offered me and Don uh, uh, a flight back to Africa. You know, I've seen it twice. You have. I saw it. Listen, here's what I love about it. Yeah. I saw it at the public theater. You tweaked it, you tweaked it, you tweaked it off Broadway. Oh, you came to the rehearsal. That's yes, right. You yeah. remember, right? It's yeah, the yeah. public theater. And then I came to the table read. Yeah. So I have not seen it on Broadway. And I said, is it a whole nother show? The reason that I think it is, you're doing some, you know what, in there that it's, you, he's got people, they react, they go into the audience, you break down the wall, and you ask people, not you, but the, the actor, yeah. the performer, to say the N-word. Yes. And the thing is, when I'm sitting there, who is going to say this and who's not going to say it? And you see yes. different people from different ethnicities yes. actually saying the N-word and reacting to what's on the stage. People are running out of the theater with their hair on fire. Which is exactly what I did with Precious, which is exactly what I did with the pilot of Empire. Mm-hmm. They've never seen anything like it before. And I think that, um, I think that black theater has not been made, Broadway hasn't been made for African Americans. It's not. I mean, I went to, no tea, no shade, but I went to see, uh, I went to see uh, a, a show. Is it now? Yeah, I went not to see Funny Girl. I went to see Funny Girl. And I was the only black person in, in the theater. Mm-hmm. The only, and this is, a, and this is something I, this is not unusual, that feeling for me. So this is, um, it's like a cookout, but it's smartly written. And Jordan E. Cooper is brilliant. He's, he's um, I would say he's, uh, he is Norman Lear meets James Baldwin with a splash of Tyler Perry, you know? Since we're talking about the N-word, can we talk, can I, I, I want to play this. Yeah. This is uh, Quentin Tarantino, I want your reaction to it. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. You talk about being the conductor and the audience yes. being the, the, the orchestra. So when people say, well, there's too much violence in movies, they uses the N-word mm-hmm. too, too often, you say what? You should then see something else. <laughs> really, it's like, you know, uh, 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 if, if you have a problem with my movies, there's other movies to go see. You know, apparently I'm not making, you know, apparently I'm not making them for you. What do you think? Quentin... That's not the right answer. Really? Why? What's the right answer? The right answer is, is, well, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I would have said, I would have checked 
it off as artistic. But nigga is our word. That's my word. And you have no right to say that. And you have no right to feel that way. Sorry, bro. Mm. Next. Let's talk about Monique. <laughs> hey! The party's on! <laughs> the reason did you want to get into this? Okay. Because, well, listen, there's a whole thing about Monique. Because oh, are you the, joking me? Yeah, you know. I was listen. just joking. No, but you, <laughs> no, 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 because, no. Yeah. Monique, you came last time. You and Monique had some beef with yeah. you, Oprah, Tyler. Mm. And the, but now you and Monique are working together again on an amazing project. Really, it's a, um, first of all, it was so healing uh, to, to get back together with her. And we are working on a film called The Deliverance, which is a black exorcist. And I think in this dark time that we're in right now, we're in a dark time. I think people need to find a, a higher power. We need to find Jesus. We need to find God. We need to find yes. Allah. We need to find somebody. Yes. And I think that this scares you into that. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about working with Glenn Close, Andrew Day from mm-hmm. Millie Holiday again. I love what you said. You said, I'm scared to even talk about it. It's scary to edit. I know. I go into the edit room and I'm, I run out. Netflix is going to be mad because they ain't going to get this movie in time. I am so scared. I am you so hear scared. That, I get into this dark room and everybody and, I, and somebody touches me like, ah! you know, it's the scariest thing I've ever worked on. If you if you like The Exorcist, this is that it's not in for the spooks. You know, it's not I'm not here to spook you. I'm here to embrace these people that you're in and out of the you think it's precious. You think you're walking into a situation where a woman is beating her kids and you find out halfway through that it's not what you think, that there's a demon in the house. You know, I texted you recently. I, was, I woke up in the middle of the night. Yep. and um, One of your many texts. No, what was on? Uh, what? uh, what's his name? What's the, what can I think of? I'm having a senior moment. I'm getting up early. It's okay. For me. Um, the butler was on. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, mm-hmm. Lee, I just sat down and I watched the whole butler. And it's just, I mean, it's just brilliant. Oprah was brilliant. The actress, every, everyone was brilliant in there. And, but now you're working on something that I think it will be just as brilliant, if not more. And that is Sammy Davis Jr. And oh. we're often on the same wavelength because I, I was mm-hmm. watching a PBS and I said, you know what? I want to I see something about Sammy Davis Jr. He's yeah. fascinating. You think that, we think that the moment that we're in, it's always new. Sammy Davis Jr. was dealing with, you know, was he black enough at the time, yes. uh, being a Republican, supporting yes. Nixon, mm-hmm. Nixon, being the only black man who was at that level of fame with the Rat Pack. And, I mean, it was, and you've wor- you're working we're on We're going that. to explain what it's like. I think that through Sammy, we will understand what it's like really to be black in America and what he had to, the sacrifices that he had to make to, um, to, uh, to actually, and he was dis- disliked, but my mom doesn't like Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for my mother because mm-hmm. she thinks he was an Uncle Tom. She thinks he was a sellout. Well, he was really responsible for financing a good portion of the, uh, of the civil rights movement. And, and people don't know that. So I'm, I'm one of the most talented people. Yeah. On the planet. So I'm, I'm going, literally, I'm going from the edit room in, uh, for Deliverance, and uh, from the edit room to rehearsals on Broadway to uh, hiring writers to help me with uh, my Hulu. I love how you're part. keeping your family at the center of so much of your work when you think about your audience. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely. Thank you for coming on this morning. Ain't you, no mo. Thank you. I love you. I love you more. Thank so you. Good and you're two beautiful cohorts. <laughs> 
Ah, Y'all kept him in check. I, listen, we got we oh, got no, we through don't. this without any. Oh, oh no, don't? we don't. Okay. We love him because he's him. <laughs> the official opening is what December first, right? Yes. On Broadway. Go see Ain't No More. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you so much. Great Thanksgiving. What a gift. All right. Up next, her great grandfather was lynched in 1939. His murderers walked free with no punishment. Now, Kyra Harris Bolton is making history. We'll tell you how next. You are. Thank you. Now to your morning moment on Tuesday, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer appointed state lawmaker Kyra Harris Bolden to the Michigan Supreme Court. She will become the first black woman on the high court of that state when she is seated in January. Her great grandfather was lynched in Tennessee in 1939, his body thrown into a river. When he was 20 years old, the coroner ruled it a, quote, accidental drowning. His killer walked free. This is the reason why I set myself on the path to public service. My commitment to the pursuit of justice is inherent in me and my family because we know injustice. In just a few generations, our family has gone from lynching to law school, from injustice to a capital J justice. This is the greatness and possibility of our country. Look at that. We're going to leave you with that. Thank you for being with us. Happy Thanksgiving. Safe travel. See you tomorrow. CNN Newsroom is now. That's it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at CNN.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.